Oi, you lot. You're listening to Garage Hammer. Episode 217. On tonight's episode, the manlings are talking about power. What kind of power? Forbidden power. Yeah, that's it. I'm dialing it in today. What are you going to do? There's not much to say. It's a story, and there's stuff. Shut it! I'm listening to me show. Welcome to the Garage, you tools, for the next two, three hours or thereabouts. Uh, depending on how long this takes, there's a lot. Uh, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way. Bringing you the secrets of the storm vaults, penumbral engines, and techless level idiocy. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I think I must be Alice Cooper. Why are you Alice Cooper? Because school's out for the summer. And we're done, folks. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Garage Hammer. If you'd like to leave us a positive review on iTunes, not for this episode. That was just a really bad... That's all I had. Come on, cut me some slack, okay? Seriously. Uh Uh-uh. No. No. No excuse. (laughs) Well, kind of excuse. No. No, you don't think so? Bad, bad. Whatever. How you been? Well, I just literally yesterday finished senior finals, so I'm still in school for another week or two because I have uh, one more final to give to non-seniors, but I basically only have like one class a day now. Oh, that's nice. Because all my seniors are gone, so I was reading and annotating Warhammer fiction. (laughs) For this I'm glad you get paid to do this. Well, I mean, I'm done <laughs> with my other stuff. Like, I did yeah. all the things, you know? So, I might, hey, I got to be there, but I'm like, huh? I cleaned up my room and I'm ready for the final. I got one class. What am I going to do? I need to be here. So, I'm mm-hmm. putting my time to good use. There you go. You know what else would put our time to good use? Saying thank you to the sponsors. You know it. Yeah. So, as always, you need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Chaos Org Superstore. Chaos Org Superstore, Chaos Org Superstore, Chaos Org Superstore. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios for all your MDF-facing needs. And Movement Trays. And Combat Gauges. And Combat Gauges. And they're doing, you know, um, you've played against me. I've got the little three-sized skulls, the little flat Mm -hmm. tokens, the one, the three, and the five, the wound counters. Yep. Yeah, they're going to have those up soon again. So neat. Six word. and Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. Not that Lindsay, and not that Wakanda. Very good. Look at you. I pay attention every once in a while. <laughs> to me. Uh, so how about those Patreon sponsors? Yes, yes. We should thank the Patreon sponsors. Because they are the people who make everything we do on this show possible. And that includes our associate producers, Phil Elliott, Dwight Sims, Christopher Sanders, and AJC. AJC. Our executive producer, Big Jake, and our newest patron, Derek Knoll. Thank you all for being part of the 1% and making everything we do possible. In fact, you know what we're doing? Um, Right after this one comes out uh, next week, since... Since I've only got one class a day, the after-work stress is pretty uh, laid back and easy. So we're going to be doing a bunch of Skype paint nights because what's it matter if I'm tired in the morning? I don't actually have to teach. So (laughs) (laughs) we're just going to 
do a bunch of that with the Patreon sponsors. So that's awesomeness. By the way, um, voicemail. Just saying voicemail because you all know if you call one seven five seven gh show six, that's one seven five seven gh show six. You too can call and leave a voicemail. I think we got a voicemail, but I'm having funky problems with the computer here. It's funky, uh, fresh, and and wrong. So we'll do voicemails on the next episode. How's that sound? Sure. Uh, but Dave, what if I want to become a Patreon sponsor? Oh. <laughs> oh, you should go to patreon.com slash garage hammer. And uh, if you think it's worth it, go ahead and become a, a sponsor. That would be very cool of you. Ah, I totally forgot about that. So listen, we'll be back and we're going to jump, I think, right into uh, Forbidden Power because uh, there's, a, there's a cool batch of, bunch of story here that I want to get into. Yeah, for sure. All right. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the power forbidden and the unveiling of the storm vaults. Yeah. Um, this reminded me almost of end time stories. Um, yeah. It, well, it actually did. Yeah, I mean, there was the, all the extra players coming in, everyone being involved. There's a whole lot more at stake here. It's not just a battle. It's this big, epic thing that is um, – it was just really well told. Like, this was a little book, and I was, like, not expecting – it's about 40 pages, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of, of story. And uh, it's just – I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, it really gave me, especially at the end there, it gave me a, like the, a feel of the end times when you were reading those stories. And you get those epic <laughs> showdowns and big, big uh, names coming up against one another and facing off. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot uh, that goes into this. Now, the thing is, when you read this book, um, it's just giving you one of the campaigns that happened during this time frame. Uh-huh. It's a big one between the Annals of the Heldenhammer and Legion of Grief. Uh, so it's Nagash versus Sigmar. But there's more to it going on than just those two. Because this is going on across the realms. 
So there is tons of story potential here. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I was. In fact, uh, when I was taking the notes, if you check the notes, um, I just went to the back and started listing the different places and the different mm-hmm. cool things because they 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 throw them throughout the whole story, and so I. Uh, I just went and started taking them out of the notes and putting them all in one spot. And it's kind of a long list, and there's all sorts of things. I, I have it, you know, that's what I figured at the end we'd talk about that because there's so much you could use this for or that they could be coming out with. Mm-hmm. So now it starts off um, with sort of, you know, it's starting to feel like some of the usual backstory, you know? Um, mm-hmm. comes in, talks about the Necroquake. Um, it's it's actually a pretty fun read. I always like going through them again because, you know, they'll rewrite it into this, like, shorter version. And sometimes the wording on it I just, just really grabs me. Um, even the quick thing about how Nagash is going to get his his revenge and they're talking about the soul thief and the taker of heroes and how upset he is that there's an entire storm host of souls taken from the realm of death. And, of course, that's the anvils. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this is just like, oh, you... <laughs> like, Sigmar, you're going to get it. like, And it's coming. There's no, there's no changing it. There's no making up for it. Uh, Nagash is going to get Sigmar. Of all the guys, he hates Sigmar the most. Um... But so he makes the inverted pyramid, and I like how it says in here, this endeavor was no ode to pride or to vaunting ambition. Nice little knock on his Tomb King ancestors, you know, or, you know, the, um, because that's all the, all the pyramids and stuff built as, you know, as uh, tribute to themselves. And it's like, oh, it's not that. But this is this big thing. And then, like I said, unless you just, this is the first time you're ever listening. You know, they talk about how the Skaven get into the the pyramid, and so the spell doesn't go exactly as planned. Now, it did say that the strain of chaos buried deep within the workings of the spell was to have another lasting effect. It would unbalance the very fabric of reality and throw the primordial laws of magic into disarray. Um yeah, this is what's creating all the endless magic. Right. This is the this is the yeah, the I mean it's the next quake. Now, but the it's when it says it unbalances the fabric of reality. That's just they're still just talking about how magic can just stay on indefinitely now, right? Yeah, that's okay. what they're talking about. It's the manifestation of the etheric energies uh, into the form of the endless spells. Okay. But so they give you that whole introduction, and then you hit this really great, it's like, oh, and guess what else happened when so, the Necroquake hit? You're saying um, that the Inverted Pyramid is not an ode to pride or ambition. Isn't that all Nagash is about, though? No, he's about order. Is he? Uh, yes, order and perfect control. Mm-hmm. Not he, wanting to take over everything. Well, everything eventually belongs to him, so he might as well just take it now. Literally oh. everything is mine. Um, so, so that's ambition? No, it's pride. just a fact. He's the god of uh-huh. death. 
everything dies and comes to him. That's not even ambition. He doesn't have to prove anything. He's but he, he does. Though. He just is. No, he is like that kid that always has to prove himself better than everybody else. Uh, He's got an inferiority complex. Let's put this out there. Um, he really does. He has to prove himself superior to everybody. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. But by the same token, so does Sigmar. Um, because, again, like how we discussed with the malign portents uh, and the malign sorcery with the coming of AOS 2, they're just different sides of the same coin. Yeah, to a degree. But still, I don't see it as ego. I see it as... He sees it as inevitability. Mm-hmm. But so the necroquake happens. Everything goes whoop, and then next thing you know, everything's like ding ding, and the spells are a running right. Uh, meanwhile, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it also basically when that wave of magic runs through, any existing magic got totally messed up. So all of a sudden, all of these wards and enchantments that have been sitting around for thousands of years were destroyed. And all of a sudden, these ancient buildings and ancient things that have been hidden for so long were suddenly there again. Um, and the uh, these things that were hidden um, suddenly... Everybody's like, "Ooh, look at that!" And everybody's heading for it because you can feel the magic and the power emanating from it. Yeah, and it's new, uncovered. It's something that was not there before. Suddenly, there's this massive vault. Even like the small ones, like the Sacrocities, are only like the size of a Azerite manor house. A manor house, not a house, not like a little single fa- a manor. Yeah, so it's this massive construct even on the small end and then the big ones the grand storm vaults are like city sized yeah and all of a sudden they just appear and everyone's like Ooh. and of course it's, it's just you know, people are going to go exploring it's what they do mm-hmm. and especially when you can sense all the power uh, so Sigmar has apparently been um since his early days exploring the different realms in the Age of Myth, um, he's been attacked by and fought things um, that either he couldn't kill or that he couldn't be destroyed that were dangerous. And rather than just leave them out there, um, he would either imprison them or take them and put them away. And eventually he locked all this stuff away. And um, now suddenly... All sorts of people are catching all sorts of horrible things. Or the vaults are opening the things he imprisoned are escaping. Mm-hmm. So that's a... Wait, that's happening too? Oh, yeah, that's happening. You didn't know that was happening because yeah. you were too busy freaking out about all the all the undead uh, rising out of their graves and the spells going crazy. But meanwhile... There's this other thing. And it all starts from, like, the Age of Myth, so we're building more of that background 
into the Age of Sigmar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually, so, I, I have that written. Yeah, I, I really like that they're pulling stuff from Age of Myth because it's it's the well that's easy to go to. You can lay you can lay down the histories and the foundations in there uh, mm-hmm. as much as you need to. Yeah, so what they talk about is, like, what Sigmar does. He's going around to the realms, bringing mortal kind together, working with the pantheon. Gorkamorka is fighting uh, god beasts, the... Elves, so it's like Tyrion, Teclis, Malarian, are stopping all the crazy magic, uh, doing protective things, and Nagash destroys the rival gods of death that prey on the population of Shayish, but he's then in turn becoming bigger and bigger as he consumes them. Um, Alariel is working with all the Sylvaneth, and then Grimnir and Grungni. Uh, they work on like building cities, uh, weapons, and slaying god beasts um, with the Earth Salamander uh, for Grugni. But um, so they're raising these cities, and as he's going through and going through the realms and vanquishing tyrants and dealing with monsters, he runs into he comes into things that he cannot handle. Or at least destroy, um, whether it's a particular weapon or like some sort of creature. So he's finding all of these things, and he's hanging on to them. It's this way, one, they don't fall into other people's hands, um, but also, you never know when you might need it. So there's a bit of an ulterior motive to it. Oh, when did it say that? You'll, it'll come to it. Well, it says he he planned on going through them because yeah, after after he had basically had secured the realms in in general, mm-hmm. uh, then he started looking at all these things, and it's like oh, there's a lot here. Um, now, what one of the things I wanted to bring up is throughout the book, um, you get little like one page bits of story. Mm-hmm. And the very first story, it's Sigmar and Teclis talking, and Teclis gives him these Enlightenment engines. Um, they're a gift that basically becomes like symbiotic with your mind, and it allows you to understand magic better, I think. And it's got all of Teclis's accumulated wisdom in each of them. It's like a so repo- they're very small. It's a repository of wisdom, uh, and like basically all knowledge. And you can tap into these. And it was a gift from Teclis uh, to him. And when he realized he needed to get rid of all of these objects to put them somewhere, he started having them build these cities, build these vaults. Meanwhile, he gave one of these things to Grunjani. And he uh, these Enlightenment engines were actually made with some of the fragments up from they were made from material from the old uh the world that was and they've got the magic of hish they've got all of teclis's knowledge um and they are great he brought them to azir and they used them in azir uh with the, for the lore masters and the engineers um and so he gives it to grung and says hey can you figure out how to work how this thing works um 
because instead of <laughs> instead of illuminating, maybe we can make it do the opposite, and we can make it hide something. Mm-hmm. And it takes them centuries of work, but guess what? They got the Enlightenment engine to work, and they gave it a new name, the Penumbral Engine. And not only does it hide things, but it makes people forget they ever existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the reverse of the Enlightenment engine. And Grugney, he knows that Teclis is going to find out what they're doing. <laughs> yes, he does. But he does it anyway to prove himself better than his old rival. So it's still playing off of that... Dwarden elf. Yep. Long, long story that they don't like each other, or at least have <laughs> creative differences. So, what he uses these engines for um, are to hide these storm vaults. But because how the Enlightenment engine works, it requires um, the magic of Hish, the piece of the world that was, and then, of course, the infinitely dwindling knowledge of Teclas. Um, so instead, you have to power it through like a guardian spirit. And some of these are either loyal followers of Sigmar who willingly sacrifice themselves in order to power these engines, but others are like elemental creatures or beasts of the void that he has like chained into these things to serve as their power source. There are things that tried to kill him that he could not kill, but that he had beaten in battle. But he couldn't actually kill them for whatever reason. So you might you got to imprison them, and the engine needs power. I like. I think it's interesting that the the enlightenment engine is symbiotic. It gives and takes energy, so everybody feels good and they work together, and it's it's a very healthy relationship between the engine and the user and here the engine is hiding this thing and it is just the exact opposite it is just like a parasite it is just sucking on the energy so these things that he can't destroy but will just rampage and has to be put down he imprisons them and it's their own energy that is helping power and keep the the prison closed and keep people away mm-hmm. i like i like i like how it's i like how those those two things worked i just thought it worked well um, story-wise. The thing that gets me, and you and I had had a conversation via text prior to recording this show, um, about they're kind of recasting Sigmar as Teclas, and when I say that, it's the village idiot, where I have a great idea on how to handle all of these things, but I don't tell my friends what I'm doing and now we have all this stuff going on. No, oh, but he can't because he's messing with the engine. But if he had told Teclis, it's like, look, buddy, we've got to do something to protect these things. We've got to hide them. You know, could we use your technology and your minimal knowledge to like? You're not gonna. You're not gonna. These? You're not. You're so petty. You're not gonna. And you're not gonna. But go that's my. That's my point. It's just. He's doing all this stuff behind his back. And it's just like what Teclis did with the end times. Nah. So it's that level of incompetence that drives me nuts. 
I just, I think we read different books, but... <laughs> no, we didn't read different books. We read the same book, but I come at it from the perspective of, you're an idiot. If you had just done something like teamwork, even before all of this happened, with the fall of the Pantheon, with the rise of chaos, like, you could have had something. Like, work together, be partners. Like, what you tried to do in the first place is to bring this Pantheon together... And then you get this really awesome thing made by a particularly weird elf. And now you're not going to be working together because you don't trust them not to do something or work with you. Again, it just runs into just tell your friends what you're doing and chances are they'll be on board. And Unless you don't want to share that stuff with them. I mean, something okay, private. again... It either comes down to, either I don't want to share it, I don't trust you with this information, or it's my level of vanity and incompetence that makes me think I can handle it, and that is techless level incompetence and vanity. Just saying. Okay. Not better, not triggered at all. <laughs> but... Techless's hat looks very much like a dunce cap, and Sigmar is wanting to wear it. So, anyway, shall we continue? So, yeah. Um, one of the effects of the penumbral engines is that the people who built the, the storm vaults started to forget that they built the storm vaults. Because it doesn't just hide it from your ability to see it, it hides it completely, meaning that people who remember uh, it stop remembering it. Suddenly people stopped coming to the shrine, even who didn't know that there was anything there. People stopped coming there to pray and worship Sigmar there because they forgot it was there. Um, mm -hmm. It got so bad, um, one of the things <laughs> that you find out is... Um, Sigmar's like, okay, this is all happening. Everything's disappearing. It's good. I'm going to um, go and unlock the secrets of these these treasures and things like that um, as soon as I can. I just have to finish, you know, all this, the, you know, the work we're doing. But I've got this locked away. It's hidden. It's perfect. I'll get to it later. And this is when chaos attacks. Mm -hmm. This is where the Age of Chaos starts. This is where he has to lock the doors for Azir. This is the part of the story we know. And he's like, I just hope those penumbral engines hold on and the storm vaults keep secret so that the this stuff doesn't fall into the hands of the Dark Gods. Perfectly reasonable uh, hope, you know? Yeah. But <laughs> Sigmar doesn't realize that he's starting to forget where the storm vaults are and how many of them there are. Um, in, in fact, it, it's stuff that's, if you write, write it down or draw maps, those things fade. Yeah. It's like, it's the reverse of the enlightenment. It's removing knowledge of things completely. So Does even it, like down to the small bits. Yeah. Like it, everything it's just erased from anywhere. Um, Sigmar knew the things were out there, and, and once the uh, 
once the age of Sigmar had begun and he had put his guys out there. <laughs> I was I was wondering what kind of quest the Night Questers went on. Now we know. They were looking yeah. for storm vaults decades at a time. Mm-hmm. We actually even found a few. And then the Necroquake hits. It sounds like that. that kind of like that. And that's what it does. And then suddenly... Everything can everyone can see all of the and then Sigma remembered every one of this like it stopped clouding his mind and he's just like up oh, I remember where they all are and oh wait everybody can see them now uh, we got to get these handled um, the great part is all of his former allies they're like oh that looks cool let's go get some. And yeah, so even his current allies. They're trying to plunder six. See, and you wonder why he didn't want to share it with everybody. Look what they did. First thing they did was like, we're going to go steal this from you. I can't okay. help it that the rest of the gods are just like kind of petty and they're going to just, oh, I know that's yours, Sigmar. I'm taking this from you. His his best friends are straight up criminals. I mean. He, no, 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 no. I'm going to stop you there. So, the only ones that are, like, legit criminals, you could say, are the overlords. Because if it's been left there that long, then, you know... By the laws, the of, laws salvage, of salvage. They're right, actually. Legit. They're the least okay. criminals. That's the most legit uh, one. But they're the most criminal. No, they're just like, hey, look, it's been sitting here for thousands of years. It's fair game. Sure. But the thing is, it's like if you talk about, like, a Lariel... Yep. She's upset that he did that because he's hiding these things in her realm. If he had said again, right from the top, hey, this is what we're doing, she might not have been so upset because she would have been on board with the plan from the beginning. Or he just figured she'd say no. And he's like, I got to put this stuff somewhere. That's fine. So if you have to hide it somewhere else, hide it somewhere else. You work it out. This is not complicated. Again, the dunce cap, formerly worn by Teclis, is now on Sigmar's head. Um, the thing I do like, though, is that the Ideneth are not so much interested in the treasures in the vaults themselves. They want the engine. Yeah, because the engine makes people forget about things. And they're like, wow, that's kind of what we already do and what we want people to do more of. Yeah, and it's also to hide their enclaves. So if you can hide a storm vault, which is a city-sized uh, structure, then you can certainly use the engine to hide an enclave city, which yeah. would then in further protect them from Slanesh. So for that, it's more like the protection ability as compared to like wanting it for like greed purposes. But if you've got these engines that can hide cities, they can certainly like hide an army. So they'd be pretty powerful when used for offense as well. Right. The only thing that I don't like with the IDNS is maybe they just don't understand the long-term effects of the engines is that you forget that your enclave is even there. So in the ultimate measure to protect your home, you forget where it is. Oh, that's true, because if you're making the place be hidden, then eventually, it's eventually everyone hidden forgets. To you. It, yeah, 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 yeah. And if they have to raid four souls, because that's what they have to do. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Womp, womp. It's a great idea, but 
execution. It's Again, dangerous to them. Yep. This is the theme. Ideas are good. Execution, terrible. <sighs> all right. So this is all the backstory that we are given up to this point. So this is what the storm vaults are. Just story-wise. <laughs> hey, by the way, adventures. And now, and now they can um, they could put out a role-playing game. I mean, it could. They totally could. I, aren't they? Aren't they? I mean, I thought they, I thought the old Warhammer. I didn't know if is is that out. Is that Age of Sigmar? Uh, yeah, they're doing an AOS RPG. See, there you go. And this, I totally think it's could, uh, who is it? Uh, Studio Seven, maybe. I don't know. I know that they're coming out with one because you can play a Kurnoff Hunter. Oh, okay. And I'm jazzed for that because then I can play an RPG again, and the only three words I have to say are "I am Groot." So, um, just saying. <laughs> so, this is where we're at, though. This is this is we've set the stage, right? And so we're going to zoom in on one of these battles because it was it was a pretty big battle. You had some solid big names in here. That's what I maybe that I think that's part of what made me give it that end times feel to me. Because you weren't just playing it. It wasn't just either tiny skirmishes or big battles with one character on one side. There were big characters coming from everywhere. Um, and so this one is in Shyish, uh, more specifically in the uh, region of Stygix. Um, I like the little description. I never thought about this. And maybe it's just, I mean, I, you read so much of this stuff, you kind of forget, like, what you read where. Mm -hmm. But, and they did. They've described Shyish as the, the flat disc with a deep pit in the middle, kind of drawing everything toward it, almost like a big funnel, you know, sucking everything down towards the center. But then it says, some people, it looks like continental plates suspended one over another in an inverted pyramid of magical energy. So it's not a, a pit getting sucked down. It's different levels. Um, but, oh, jeez. <laughs> Wait, you're saying the realm of death looks like an upside-down pyramid. That makes sense. Um, and along with all of this, there are, in Shyish, there are places that Sigmar hid stuff. And um, so... You've got all this going on here. Since the Necroquake, the Night Haunts, our legions are sweeping through Shyish. Um, the Prime Innerlands are slowly every season moving closer and closer toward the center. Uh, Nagashazar and the big Shyish Nader. And they're going to, you know, eventually this place looks like it's going to to, to eat itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, in response to all this stuff that Nagash is doing, the sacrosanct chambers have been deployed, especially to this place. Um, and it all comes down to this area called Stygix, and this is where the anvils of the Heldenhammer have their big fortress. Yeah, they have their really big fortress. They do have a number of other fortresses scattered throughout the realms of death. Um, Glim's Forge. Uh, when we cover the Soul Wars, right? Uh, that's a Anvil City because um, most of their troops are drawn from the Realm of Death, so that's where they feel the most kinship is to the Realm of Death, right? 
But this is also the biggest insult to Nagash, because those are the souls from the realm of death. Yeah, the entire anvils of the Hells of Hammer are they? He took his hero level mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, souls. So we start off with the big picture, then we go to Shyish, and now we're down to Stygix. Um, this is where you start to get new stuff. It's uh, a little bit from the book. It's the land of forgotten gods is as harsh and unforgi- is a harsh and unforgiving region, ravaged by geist storms and freezing cascades of jet black rain. Its mountainous wilds are littered with crumbling ruins, ancient palaces and shrines to gods of the afterlife that have long since faded from mortal memory. It's said that as worship of these deities begins to dwindle, they travel to Stygix to die fading into memory and becoming part of the tortured landscape forevermore. Life is hard here, and Lethys is the dominant st- city of Stygix. But other cities and forts have been built in this expanse. Yet vast tracts of Stygix remain untamed and inimical to life, and the secrets they hold are yet to be unveiled. So now we've got our our city. Yeah, there's. They mention a couple of spots. Like, there's a Weaver Port, um, primarily based for the Scourge Privateers. There's a Fire Slayer Hold. Um, so it's the things that thrive in the rough and tumble. Right, and they do name a couple of. They do give you a little map with a couple of of important places for our story, which is Lethis, which we've said is the anvils are holding Lethis. That's their big staging ground um, for everything. Deific Mons is this giant castle of the gods. Um, the ancient gods used to meet there. Um, and, it's like right, a gigantic mountain. Yeah. Uh, with was some it, ruins on top. It's I, They describe it as like one of the natural wonders of Shayish. Yeah. It, but uh, the ruins would, with you know, it's it, complete. It would, it would be enormous. And it's there, and it's abandoned, and this is where the death armies are going to be making their big move from. There's Castle Drachmere, a bastion of light that has been claimed by flesh-eating ghouls. And then there's also, so you know, there's a whirlway down under the water for the Eidneth to show up in. Um, so they give you a little bit more, and I, I like that they mention a great pretender in here. There's a, just another mm-hmm. little bit of story. So after the Realmgate Wars, the anvils of the Heldenhammer go into Stygix, and apparently there was a Chaos Lord who thought that they were Slanesh. Yeah, he's one of the pretenders, hence the name the Great Pretender. Right. Um, and that's been kind of covered in the background with Slanesh, uh, that there are lords or demons that believe that they are the reincarnation of Slanesh. Yep, So you, but you're getting these nice overlaps of stuff that both just came out. Um, mm-hmm. So Lethus is founded on the site of the defeat of the Great Pretender. Um, He's still alive, though. Yeah, they didn't kill him. Yeah, um, but I do like... They described that the attack that they had on him to trigger this defeat was they attacked him during the rituals to Slanesh. So they're at their like most vulnerable because they're doing their... Who's or what's it's when you do right. um, tributes to Slanesh. So they're caught unprepared, and the anvils push them back hard. Yep. Now, inside the the Grand Necropolis is the Veil, and it's a, it's a gateway. Uh, it's a, a realm it's, gate. It's a realm gate, yeah. 
Uh, it's made out. It's a uh, polished bone, cloaked in funeral shrouds, and echoing with the sibilant whispers of long dead guardians. It is the prime realm gate in the city. It actually connects to several locations depending on the position of the stars or whatever. So when the high star Sigindil is at its apex, the veil opens a pathway between Lethus and Azir. Okay, but then. Once those shift, they don't come back in alignment for weeks. So mm-hmm. so it's a direct line from Azir to Lethis, but you've only got a, a certain window of when you can use it. Right. Um, also throughout the city of Lethis, you see signs of the bleak raven. It's a one-eyed bird that is a herald of the god Morda, which sounds like more. Duh. And, uh, and we're... Done. That hangs over. Oh, don't even start. All you're doing is sit around cranking on on techless, and now I make a joke. So, um, this is an ancient god of the dead who is said to have escaped the clutches of Nagash and is revered by the anvils. Um, I don't know how that works. I don't know what's up with that, but at least it's you know we understand the reference. Mm-hmm. Um. What else? There's a little bit more uh, background they give us about the city. There's the big lake. That's right. It's on it's on the edge of a lake, which is dark and impenetrable as obsidian. Some people think uh, um, Nagash's sarcophagus is down there. And um, there's all sorts of rumors about this water because you can't go into it. Because yeah. if you go in the water, it makes you forget. It steals your memories, basically. Um, yeah, it's like a liquid amnesia. Yeah. Uh, anyone who falls into the water and is under there, they get pulled out. They wind up being mute amnesiacs. They can't remember anything, and apparently including how to speak. Mm-hmm. But people still go to collect this stuff because little tiny bits, it can banish traumatic memories and nightmares granting peace both spiritually and psychologically to the drinker. So drinking it in the right amounts, it's really good, but a little too much, and then you, your brain is fried. Yeah, and they think the sarcophagus is down there because they think that Nagash fled to Lake Lethus uh, during the Age of Chaos. Oh, that's right. And he dived under the water for protection. That would make sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, so, I mean, you get a real picture. This is a really neat place where they are. Like, it's just creepy and strange, and it's like the water is so dark you can't see through it. Okay, oh, okay. And, by the way, you forget things. Like, they're just it's always an extra level of something creepy and just something that, that, can, that can just ruin everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's... Uh, there is under in this place in Lethis, um, there's a huge, there's several penumbral engines apparently, and they're taking all their power from whoever he's got trapped in the middle of there. Yeah, this is down in the Midnight Tomb. So yeah. this is the storm vault underneath Lake Lethis. Right. Um, that he's imprisoned something. Um, Bound it to an is... arcane void. Oh boy, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when the Necroquake happens, this thing wakes up. Um, it's the first time in centuries, and it screams out, and the Gash hears it. 
Um, and this is something that used to call him master. So we know that Nagash knows who, who or what this thing is, but we obviously don't. No, and, and I don't think they even drop any clues. Other than the Not gosh really. really wants, yeah, no, it could be a there could be a lot of different things. Um, so you have to think about what things that have called Nagash master that have not come back yet from the world that was. You're looking at like Archon, obviously he's still kicking, right? But who else served Nagash? Did Vlad? Vlad did. Uh, during the end times, um, and he was one of the original uh, vampires, um, as the sire of the Von Karstein bloodline. Um, you're also looking at, like, Neferata is obviously still kicking. She right. was the Lamians. Um, Yashorin, I doubt it's him, um, because he's probably still kicking around as a Ephorn or Regent. Kicking, maybe. Um, you're looking at... Good lord, what is his name? Um, the Blood Dragon. Um, Abhorash. Oh, okay. Uh, it could be him. Uh, it could be any number of things. Nagash had a lot of things, even if it's like some sort of creature or monster, um, like some sort of crazy thing from the underworld that once served him. You never know. I mean, heck, it could be Krell. Ha! <laughs> That would be hysterical. See? Krell is so powerful that he can't be killed by Sigmar. It's not Krell. It could be Krell. I don't think it's Krell. Okay, it probably is Krell now that I said it isn't. And then everyone's going to be like, aha, you're stupid. Um, that would be incredible. Oh, really? <laughs> and you're bagging on me. I got you. I see where this whole episode's going. So, all right. So, Nagash, here's this. And the first thing he does is he turns around and looks right in the camera and raises a fist and says, Sigmar, because he knows. He's like, you know what? Only one person could have done this. And God, I hate that guy. And so now he just he calls Lady Olinda over, who is like his go-to now, seemingly all the time. Those other Mortarks are like doing the side jobs. Lady Olinder, it's like, hey, I, I'm sending her in, and he's like, go crack that tomb and bring me, bring me my servant. Um, so then, of course, her 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 soon to be husband, uh, Kurdos, he grabs his army and goes with her, and they go to that deific mons, the huge fortress. It says, whose towering doorways are large enough for an army of thousands to march through a breast. So, a, a, a thousand, at least a thousand people uh, walking, uh, you know, standing side by side, walking together could get through these front doors. That's kind of absurd. That's huge. That's ridiculous. I could see why it's impressive and scary. Mm-hmm. Um. This place is the perfect staging ground for Lady Alinder's assault. Um, the anvils of the Heldenhammer sense this danger. They sent some swift hawks to go see what was going on. One of them comes back like half crazed and terrified and told, telling of a, a spirit host or an ethereal host so vast it engulfed the peaks of uh, Deific Mons. So 
this castle where you can walk thousands of people across through the doorway only is completely covered, uh, engulfed in all this spirits. So I'm like, oh, that's no good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then you start getting all the other little side jobs. The oh look, the overlords—they were they were mining, uh, you know, ether gold or whatever uh, up in the <laughs> skies around there. And they're like, oh, this sucks with all this stuff coming. And then they got hired to do some privateer work, which is you know pirate work. And uh, they hearing they they're hearing rumors about this stuff. Something's going on in Lethis, so they're in there because there's money to be had. And the and obviously they want to get back to salvage to uh, mining the ether gold. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, that stuff is in the yeah. They, we need to get rid of these guys to get back to our regular mining. But in the meantime, there could be lots of loot to be had. Um, so the Ideneth come through the railway and go and ask to talk to the anvils. Um, and they're like, oh, there's a lot of evil coming. We can help. Of course, they want to see the engine. <laughs> like, if, if we can help, maybe they can get close enough to the engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, then you've got the Fire Slayers, and the Fire Slayers had already been there. They've been fighting for Lethis for years, um, but apparently the merchant lords of the town didn't want to pay. Uh, they hadn't paid their bill. Um, they were behind on the bill, and they were getting upset that the longer the Fire Slayers stayed, the more they were upping their charges because, well, they can, I suppose. Um and then you've also got the another this other place which is basically full of uh flesh eater courts yeah it's an isthmus known as the dead man's folly right um, and lord relictors from the anvils have gone there to try to like reach some sort of common ground with their unstable neighbors um and this falls under the Influence of the abhorrent ghoul king Maldoras, um, who finally says, you know what, fine, we'll talk to you. Um, In his delusion from a tottering kingdom who sought the protection of his glorious legions. So, during the course, he swears that the Tenebris court would uh, lend the aid of his household knights to Lethis should it ever be threatened by evil. This is great. The Stormcast show up. <laughs> they go to talk to him. Oh, you poor people from your poor failing city. Like, you know, yes, mm-hmm. yes, you need our help. And if you are ever in trouble, I promise to come. The, the just, <laughs> I love how delusional they are. And just, I just, you know, okay, uh, you didn't see the end game, did you? No. Did you see Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes. Okay, you know where he's dancing and singing in the beginning to come and get your love? And you're watching the movie and it's all clever and he's spinning and he's singing and the music's really loud. In Endgame, they go back to that scene, but they're watching it from outside. So in the beginning, you see him walking up and you hear the music and then it cuts and there's just this guy sort of singing off key to himself and you don't hear any of the music. It's what's going on. And it's kind of like... How I picture this. There's this beautiful scene in this guy's head, and you cut and you're looking, you're like, oh my God, this is so strange. I 
I love the juxtaposition of what's going on in their heads and what's going on to everybody else. Uh, it's it's it, it, I, it's what I love about Flesh Eater Chords. They are kind of loopy. Very. Um, so now they're coming. If they're ever threatened, they said, we will be there. Which is actually is is probably a better deal than they were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty certain all they were hoping for was to make sure these guys don't attack them. Or eat them, yeah. Yeah, don't try to come over here and eat our people. Look, we just, oh, you're going to, def- oh, you'll come and help if there's trouble? Appreciate it. Great. Exactly. Great idea. Um, okay. So- but this is not something new, though. No. Because in, like, the Realm Gate Wars, the Anvils uh, and the Gash, after they lift the siege of New Lamia, have dinner at a Flesh Eater Court's castle. Right. And they let the creatures to their delusions. So they even understand how to inherently deal with these things. So. Yep. I don't know. So, um, that's... Now, all of this has been set up. We mm-hmm. got the recap. Then we got the what happened next. And then we got the let's go back and see how this all started. <laughs> and now everybody's coming together in these different places now that this vault is open. And like I said, reminder, this is a vault. It's a big Singular. vault. It's a big vault. It says that what there's uh, one of these said there was 10,000 pieces in it. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't this particular vault, it was one of them because I, I I know I wrote it down here somewhere in my notes because I was like, that's bananas. How do you have 10,000? I mean, that's just why, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's but that's the cloister of ash, ashes beneath Hammerhall Aksha has 10,000 treasures. That's too big. That, come on. But but it depends how small they are, I guess. It's like 10,000 magical clippers. 10,000 magical some range finders. Um, so let's go to the Battle of Lethus, shall we? Or should we take a break? Um, okay. All right, we'll be back. in the garage hammer shirt who cares about him look at that guy with the garage hammer hoodie that's right guys nothing tells the ladies i'm one of the gaming elite like garage wear so hurry to garagehammer.net slash store and soon you'll be the guy at game night that all the gamer chicks are talking about remember boys first you get your gear then you win all your games then you get the chicks that's right, boys. The only gamers we notice are in Garage Gear.
And we are back with the Battle of Lethys and all the ebbs and flows. Because there's a lot of ebb and flow. Yeah. Now, I love the very beginning of this because there's so many little, just they're little bits and they are completely inconsequential to the greater battle. But it's just these little details that 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 make this story uh, more fun. So they come down from, uh, you know, the mountain, from Deific Mons, and they're coming, the undead are just coming right across Lake Lethys because I suppose you could float over the water if everyone in the army can fly, right? Yeah, and they were, uh, GW, the community page, put up a little story about this particular event. Oh, did that? On the community website. I must have missed that. And it's absolutely aces. Oh, man. I missed that. It's essentially like some fishermen that are in a boat. Um, and they're like, all right, fine. Something's wrong. We're going to get moving. And then this wave comes up. And you can see like all the dead writing in it. Um, almost like a tsunami. And then all of a sudden there's like this splashing fast quickly. And you see the eels fly over. Um, with the king on his uh, mount, and then the last thing that comes up is a leviathan, and it knocks the boat over. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what happened, though, in this. Like, almost all the fishermen that were out fishing got knocked into the water by something or other. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Ideneth are able to push back this first wave of the attack. Yeah. Um, now, first of all, these things fall in the water. The Deepkin show up. The Deepkin are not affected by the memory charms built into the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't bother them at all. But they get through and they push these guys back, and then they're like, hmm, well, these people aren't going to do anybody any good. They don't remember anything. They're basically mutes with no minds. So no one's it's really you're not going to miss a mute with no mind, you know. It's better that they just be gone. So then they take them all because they they. I mean, if you can steal some souls, you know, if you can get a bit of a raid in on another job, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. So um, then they introduce a couple of more. You know, you've got who's who's going where. Uh, it's Vandergool of the Soul Guard Chamber leads the charge for the Stormcast in the battle. Um, thousands and thousands of Death Rattle units are just flooding through. Everyone they kill, two more take their place. And eventually, Vandergool of the Soul Guard Chamber has to give the signal to fall back to the walls. Because um, there's, they're just getting overrun. There's no way about it. Um, this is where the uh, the liberators go and boom, drop like a shield wall going on. I think there's even a special rule for it in the uh, if you play that army um, in the in the in the war section. Mm-hmm. Um, but they drop. But even that can't keep them back because just there, there's so many of them. They're going around the sides like it just can't. So they've got to keep backing up, backing up, backing up. And all of a sudden, Rune's son, Gregar, comes rushing in at the front of his Fire Slayer units on his Magma Droth. And they are, they saw this stuff coming and they didn't want to help. This <laughs> flipping Fire Slayers. Um, we said earlier how they hadn't gotten paid. Mm-hmm. 
they were behind on a payment they owed them, and the city was hemming and hawing on paying. So he didn't want to help because they owed him money and they hadn't paid him. But there's a bajillion dead things coming. So they abandon their little their little camp at the base of the mountain, and they go to the city. They fight their way through all the dead to the city, and they're 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 fighting um, along with these people. Uh, they had no choice. If you want to survive, you're gonna you're gonna fight. Now, as they get there, Vandergool sees them coming, and he goes and finds Gregar, and he basically goes to thank him and the rune son's like um you guys suck you didn't pay us you broke any bonds of fellowship with us okay we're not your friends we're not your buddies we're not your pals you screwed us over and didn't pay us we're only here because we don't have any other choice and then he just turns his back on him and walks away Mm -hmm. (laughs) like dang um And then the battle is going to start up again, right? They've, they've smashed off the first wave. They're inside their city, and now they're going to defend the city. Did you see some of the – all the stuff that they have to fight the dead? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the type of stuff that you didn't see in some of the rules because – and, I mean, I suppose you could do this with anything, tipping stuff with silver and making a lot of stuff out of holy water. But, dang, they are ready for it. It, there's a whole list here on page 34. Do you have that marked by any chance, or do you have that stuff? Uh, yeah, they did a lot of the similar stuff in Glim's Forge uh, during the Soul Wars. Yeah. Um, because the dead are so rampant in Shayesh, because, well, it's Shayesh. So, but again, it's these guys are prepared. They know what they're fighting, and they know what they need to, to defend themselves against. Yeah. But there's a lot of neat defensive stuff. Yeah. Uh, the work crews in the creation... Uh, Oh, uh, the after the necroquake, they directed the dispossessed work crews in the creation of intricate sluice works within the masonry, which was subsequently filled with raw celestium, the stuff of heavenly magic. As long as the walls were intact, they 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 could they can't go they can't phase through the walls. Mm-hmm. They can't you know which normally they can, but the way they've got these place built, you can't do that. Um, they've got star water. And uh, silver javelins and the ballistas firing bolts of sigmarite. Um, All of this stuff is just geared to kill the undead. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yes, there is. (laughs) And, um, oh, and then after this, your, your Ideneth guy. Uh, Namos, he's like, we'll defend, we'll defend the mausoleum, and I mean, it makes sense. They're riding eels in the narrow streets; they're no good, right? They've got that big area around the mausoleum. They can actually maneuver and fight and do well. Mm-hmm. And also, getting closer to the midnight tomb. Yeah, they want to be by the midnight tomb, and. uh Get as close as they can. See what they can. If they can't find one of those, uh, find an engine. engine. Yeah, or even just any other stuff that could be inside of it. Right. Um, now this is an important battle, though, and they're outnumbered about a uh, uh, hundred million to one or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So they're sending in the Celestine Prime. Um, 
it's a big deal. But there's no and there's no more stormcast to send because the necroquake is messing up everything everywhere. But they get that uh, that one dude along with this prime, and he's got a th- like thousands of the uh, de- what is it, de- devoted of Sigmar? Was that what they're the called? The flagellants, yeah, yeah. He's got thousands of them. It's like they're only yes, humans. it's the high acclimator. Oh, that's the high acclimator. Um, but those guys are getting sent in. And the Prime finally arrives, and everyone's like, yay, it's the Celestine Prime. And it's like, uh, you are not forgotten, children of Sigmar, and death will not have his its due this day. Uh, and that's when he calls the generals together, and they make their plan. You guys are going to defend. That's where they they're that's where the Eidneth are defending the mausoleum, the best they can, because that's where they can fit. Um, Vandergool and Gregar are defending the gate. Um, the Fire Slayers are like, "Why should we?" And the Celestin Prime says, "He, we've got far greater treasures than anything the people in this city owe you. And if you stick with us till the end, you can have some. You know, we'll, we'll make sure you get paid." Mm-hmm. And that's good. You know, they so they hired everybody. Now we've got all we we've got the defenses set. Okay. But then you look out and the uh, they said for miles in every direction, you couldn't see the ground. Yeah, and this is like just the massive horde of zombies. Yep. So, uh... So they fight on. Yeah. um, As the armies of the dead march on the gate. And... It looks like they're gonna do okay. And then Rhaegar turned his forces on the flank of the anvils um, and actually starts cutting down the Stormcast <laughs> and opening the main gate to allow the enemy in. This is just pure Dwarden spite. But also, it's you didn't pay up. And we're not gonna stick around if you don't pay up. Well, see, here it looks like like they're like petty in spite because it's like they're fighting and they're doing okay, and all of a sudden these guys turn around and just attack their flank, and they wipe most of that unit out. Mm-hmm. They smash it badly enough that they're able to get to the gate and just open the gate, and they let the forces of the of, of Lady Olinder into the city. That's one hundred percent what the fire that's on the fire slayers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sit there and you're like, "What the heck?" Now there is a page here in 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 the book where they, you know, there's several pages where it breaks off into story parts. Mm-hmm. And um, you get a little side view in this, which is that basically the forces of death came to him. And said, you know, they haven't paid you at all. And we know that you're you're due to get paid because they can't not pay you. That sucks. They got to pay you. And uh, they offer him a ton, basically double what he was already owed. And they're like, look, we don't even want to fight. You just let us in. We'll do all the fighting. Just get us into the city. And so that's that's why the turn comes. And it, And you know what? They didn't pay him. And these guys offered them double, and I mean, they're they're called mercenaries for a reason. If you don't pay them, they're not going to help you. In fact, they may hurt you if you don't pay them when you're supposed to pay them. So I don't know. I get why they did it, and I like the little side story because at first, like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I see. 
Yeah, and then there's even, like, the combat between Vandergul and Gregar. Um, And Gregar actually ends up knocking down Vandergul in a bit of a weird turn. Um, I don't see a rune sun cutting down a Lord Celestin, but, you know, things happen. It could happen. And it did he happen. Did have a he did have a magma drop, though. But they talk about, like, how, you know, you get celestial steel raining off of fire steel. And these are things that we've associated with being friends um, and being allies in the order in the Grand Order of things. But it's just, again, everyone's out for themselves in one way or another. Yeah. So you can't trust anybody anymore. Yeah, so Vandergool is now gone. He's turned back to lightning and gone back because Gregar and him were fighting and Gregar just took him out. Yeah. Um, and they're through the gate. And Lady Olinder gets to the mausoleum area. And meanwhile, Kurdos goes west to the west side of the city and keeps the people at the Stormkeep there. They, by putting the pressure on the Stormkeep, they can't leave it. They have to stay to defend it. Even if you're not putting up the up the biggest fight, if you're sending guys in piecemeal, keeping them there is the job. And so he's doing that, and she's breaking her way into the mausoleum. Now, when they get to Stormkeep, and uh, Kurdos gets there to the Stormkeep, they've pulled up the the drawbridge. And there's a moat of holy water around it. Uh, the necromancers just start sending in zombies. And this is you've seen this before in movies and stuff. I'll just send a, a thousand or two thousand or five thousand or however many thousand zombies I got to send. And they send them right to the moat where the drawbridge is, is out of the way. And um, they just start going into the water. And they just keep piling into the water and just laying there on top of each other until they create a bridge of bodies. And uh, then the remainder of the zombies and the fire slayers get across. They bust through the, you know, there. And suddenly, uh, you know, prosecutors show up and start raining fire from the sky. And there's war priest Prava's morning star with all of his wild-eyed flagellants. Um, and everyone goes, yay, because the reinforcements showed up. And it was just looking like there was nothing left. Um and then the Celestine Prime shows up in a battle, and he does what a Celestine Prime is supposed to do. Yeah, comes in one fell swoop, KOs the Magma Joth, and then does the same thing to Gregar. One shot. One shots the Magma Joth, shatters its skull, then turns around and does this. Yep, boom, plam. Um... The the overlords come flying in from the sky and start opening fire on everything. So, you know, everyone has come in now, and now it looks like, oh, you know what? We got a chance here. Yes, they let them in, and yes, it's bad, but these reinforcements are exactly what we need. They're kicking it. Um, in fact, they did so well that only a couple hundred of those thousands of fire slayers actually survived and they were so ashamed at their loss and all the things that happened they all took the path of the doom seeker so the last of this group just uh went out uh, to go become doom seekers uh, because of how badly they screwed all of this up 
yeah, it's again falling back to that Duarden ideal of atonement for mistakes, for your shame that you have to do something in order to make up for it, even if it's your death. Oh yeah. Um, and the Doomseeker, we have a model for that from uh, the Silver Tower box. Then they also got re-released with the uh, Fire Slayers army. Mm-hmm. So these are like things that they now establish. Right. And now Kurdos is outnumbered and cut off and out of luck and screwed, and um, he cannot offer any more help to Lady Alinder. But she doesn't seem to be needing a lot of it, does she? No. So... Um, who's in the chamber with them, or who's in the who's at the mausoleum defending it? Uh, that it was, would be it was all the Ignis on the outside. Yep. And then they got through that though. And who's on the inside? Um, not liberators, not uh, evocators. Oh, thank right. Um, why don't you grab this part since I can't seem to remember anybody's names? So the evocators are doing the best that they can to like hold out. And in desperation, they start busting open the chambers um, or these little mini retrocesses and start grabbing and handing out relics. So the Ideneth King gets the sword Geistbane and Galmorian. I don't remember who that guy is. uh, He gets the Shield of the Pale Knight, um, which we'll talk about later in the war section. I've got that written in my notes, too, but... Um, I think he's just one of the evocators. Maybe I don't remember his name. I don't. It might just be like a Lord Relictor or something. Could be. Um, in any event, none of it really matters. Um, so Linder smashes in, destroying engines, and they start busting open the vaults. Um, and during the course of busting open the vaults, she releases Laoshan, the Soul Seeker, um, who is. An ancient god of the dead, he is the one that pilots the boat, and he knows where all the souls are in Shayish. Um, so she lashes him to her will, and essentially uses him as a guide to find the being in the Midnight Tomb, because of how big this place is. Yeah. It would take them, obviously, a long time um, to find this thing, so they use Laoshan to guide the way. Yep. Oh, and uh, Galmorian is... Uh... Uh, Lord Arcanum. Ah, there we go. Yeah. So, they find this orb of immense blackness suspended in the air. And they're going to try to release it. Um, and Galmorian is just basically killing everything he can get to. He's trying to get together to stop her from doing this. And this is his, I mean, the whole job is don't let her get to and open this 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 thing up. Uh, he almost gets his celestial lightning going, and he's right about to destroy her when suddenly a noose flips around his neck, and the Lord Executioner, you know, they'll carry the, the hangman's thing, yanks him back and pulls him off his mount. Mm-hmm. And before he can do anything, he is overrun. And he's uh, just, just piled on after he's thrown to the ground, and he gets torn apart. Um, so it looks like um, Lady Olinder has got a pretty clear path now to getting this thing, and you're like, oh, crime. Meanwhile, outside, the forces that are still holding off the other bits of the armies, um, it's you know, they're at a bit of a lull here, but they're still they're exhausted. They've been fighting all this time, and you look, and there's more undead, twisted monstrosities coming. 
uh, again. Like it's like, oh, there's another wave of them coming because they never end. Right? right, that's a constant theme with death. Right, but these aren't even zombies. This is some other thing. There's just stuff coming in, and it's fl- stuff flying, stuff coming in, all hunchy. And as they show up, you know, they're looking, and the necromancers are like, oh, good, more stuff going. And as they come rushing in, it's it's the Tenebris Court. They've come to honor their pledge to help defend the city. The necromancers don't even know that there is some sort of deal between the flesh eater courts and the city. They just assumed they're coming. They're flesh eater courts, right? They're a, they're they must be working with us. And as they come rushing through and killing all the necromancers, suddenly all the zombies just start dropping because there's nobody animating them anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's less to fight, so the ghouls start going wild. They're running around, they're killing everything they can see, but now they're starting to get kind of frenzied. And they're going to become an even worse problem if they don't get this under control, because these things are just, they're just crazy. Um, so that's when the Celestin Prime finds Maladros, the ghoul, you know, the, 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 the ghoul king, and just sort of almost forces a moment of sanity on him. It was like, you need to get your people under control. Of course, the Ghoul King sees him as this shining, glowing um, uh, avatar of one of his ancestors who's come now to lead him along the path. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so of yeah, course, it's, yeah. again, the delusion. Yeah, get your kids in line. Oh, my kid. Oh, you're one. Oh, okay. So suddenly this is an, an ancestor coming telling him this but he does get his ghouls under control which allows the Celestin Prime to take off and go after Lady Alinder and um, this is where you get to those epic battles they attack and of course Kalmaraz proves better than the Staff of Midnight because of course it does yeah should best damn hammer ever made yeah so this looks like uh, the Prime is going to be striking down Alinder um, but Alinder commands one of her handmaidens to shatter her hourglass of grave sand, um, and it starts to rot and break down the Prime's armor. Yeah. And eventually, he is slain uh, by this grave sand, and we've not seen the Prime fall. No, have he, we? No, he goes to lightning and goes away. I've never seen. I've never heard of him going in a story. But when you shatter an entire hourglass full of grave sand. Pure mm-hmm. death energy, and it's just unleashed on you. It just his stuff turned to rust, like it aged. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is what's that? What's the spell? The hand of death, or no, no, it's not hand of dust. This is dust. her hourglass. No, but I'm saying it has a similar effect where it's just like yeah, it's it's the aging. It, yeah, it's pure death. <laughs> and the lightning bolt, and he's gone. And right before he goes, he's looking at this thing like, oh no, oh no, I I I couldn't I couldn't stop it. Um, and then, but before it actually destroys him, it's not just affecting him because it destroys the penumbral engines. They turn to rust and then collapse as well. Mm -hmm. So everything there, I guess they, when those things collapse, they've now freed the thing in the prison. Nagash will be pleased. And that's basically the end of this story is that they failed to defend it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this is a fun story. And they're bringing all sorts of characters, all sorts of things happen. People dying left and right. Betrayal. You got the triumphs. You got the treacheries. You got the the almost comic relief with the you know the the reinforcements of the flesh eater courts there at the end. Um, all in all, it sounds like a fun campaign. Yeah, and this is just in regards to the story. Now, this is obviously setting up something. Oh, whatever well, yeah. this thing that is now out of the midnight tomb is going to be bad. I mean, we all know this. Um, yeah, they're not just going to ignore but, that this happened. No, no, no. It's like the same thing with the Malay importance. This is a setup, but this is I. In going through this, I think this is a much better setup uh, for the next step than what they did with the Malay importance into Malay sorcery and AOS two. Yeah. I think there's just more to grab onto here. Malay importance had less story and more funky rules. Yes, you know. Whereas this has a lot of story and then rules to match the story, so they seem to make sense, and you kind of get a sense of what why it's here and what's going on. Exactly. So, um, yeah, this is fun. I'm I'm looking forward to jumping into the rules. Now, I have I've, I've read all the rules and I've read the book. Um, I've got the cards here somewhere. Uh, we will need them to go through because uh, I need them. Uh, hadn't had a chance to read through all of them yet, so it'll be exciting. But this and this is just one storm fault and there are hundreds if not thousands of these things yeah um in um, fact we should go through some of these we can just jump back and forth um but if i may beat a dead horse oh jesus here we go no 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 so shut up so there's a confrontation at the end of this between Teclas and Sigmar. Oh, yes. Um, which we've not seen Teclas, like, actually engage in the Mortal Realms at this point, aside from being a very bad dad um, to the Idaneth and creating that. So that's the only real contact we've had with Teclas, aside from the Idaneth and the chaining of Slanesh. So now... We have these two gods coming face to face for probably the first time in centuries, um, and they have nothing but like contempt for or con, contempt. Con, con, thank you uh, for one another. Um, they accuse each other of being arrogant, that they play their own conceited games, um, and for Sigmar, he's doing this all for everybody. But Teclas is like, no, no, you're doing this for yourself. Um, but there's a line in here um, about, like, you know, Teclas is like, well, you used my engines, you ruined them. And he said, uh, there was no other way. Always do the Dark Gods seek to dominate mortal kind. To defeat them, we must use every weapon available to us. Would you have discarded the artifacts that we gathered? Would you so quickly have squandered such power? So that's what I had mentioned earlier, um, that he was saving them for a rainy day. Because you never know when you might need something like that. Because hmm. clearly he's indicating that I intended to save some of these things that we could use later. Yeah. But again, it's the two of them just going back at each other like, you're planting this behind our back, 
Rawr. It's the same. It's just reversed. And I don't know. In case you couldn't tell, it kind of irritated me. But you know what? <sighs> but Sigmar's even like, well, we have to all work together now because we need to uh, deal with this. And Teclas is like, no. This is your fault. This is your mess. You clean it up. And then he leaves. Mm-hmm. So. Now, uh, I did make this list of all the different cool stuff that they talked about in the book. And yeah, before we go into the rules. Extra nuggets. Yeah. So one of the first ones they talk about is the crawling pits of Garantia. Um, mm-hmm. This is where, uh, I guess, uh, Sigmar killed a god beast. Um, and it's the skull of Hammergord, a bull-headed, furnace-hearted god beast. So Gordrak found this thing, and he took it. And so now he is, Gordrak has the skull of Hammergord. Uh, he has mounted this god beast skull on a battering ram made out of uh, beaten iron. And the skull has the power to shatter mountains into rubble. And guess what? Gordrak has plans for this. Mm-hmm. I could, I could. Could you just picture the like? He, you know, it looks really cool. He could tell it's powerful. It's very cool. He puts it on the front of the thing. He's like, oh, this is gonna smash. It's gonna be so good. And you know, he didn't know what it would do. There's no way Gordrak knew what it was gonna do. Mm-hmm. So he gets this thing, he puts it on there, it looks cool, it's going to smash down, he goes up against his first battle, this thing swings forward, boom, levels the place. And he just, there's a, I just pictured this pause, and the orcs all stopping, looking around at each other, and then they get that big smile on Gordrak's face, and they just start, they just start whooping and hollering, like, oh mm-hmm. man, do you have any idea what we're going to do with this? Yeah, and I do, like, the crawling pits, it's called the crawling pits because it's a storm vault that broke loose from its, like, moorings and fell into an arachnoid spider nest. Oh, that's right. And it's caught in the webs of the arachnoid spiders that are now holding the storm vault up. That's right. Yeah, and Jack went in there and, and took the skull thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I already and I did say the next one, so you could take the one out, because uh, I said the Cloister of Ashes is one of the largest, holding 10,000 wondrous treasures in the Cloister of Ashes. Uh, you want to go through some of the relics that are in there? Sure. So they talk about the Blade of Fulmination, which is a burning blade of a tyrant um, that is still burning with the desire to conquer and enslave. Um, there's an actual creature. Uh, actually, I think there's a couple down in here. Um, the Charon Hydra um, that he imprisoned. Uh, because if it escaped, it would be just destroying and burninating everything. Burninating, um, yep. Yeah, the Ember Serpent, uh, whose coils like envelop great cities and burning everything to ashes. This was summoned by a foolhardy council of mages trying to harness its power, and it burned everything down. <laughs> and then slithered away. Yeah. And is still uh, out there. And there's also the Four Princes of Aksharada. Um, which are Sigmarite servants, and they committed themselves to guard the cloister even unto death and then beyond. Um, and they also mentioned another guardian, the Burned Man. 
uh, right. for those that have gone down in there, which is just this massive man on fire. Who just looks at you and then you burn up. Mm-hmm. Like people have been sent in there and people just don't tend to come out. Yeah. Ugh. Um, the Jade Temple is in Hammerhall Gyra. That's another immense vault, but we don't have too much information on what's in that one. Um, what else is there? Oh, then they got the the the, the Lethis, the Midnight Tomb, as, mm-hmm. as it says, it's got the Force of Darkness. Uh, oh, I like. Oh, this is why I wrote this down because I'm like, we just went through this story, imprisoning an unspeakable force of darkness from the days of yore. I hate that phrase, and. An elemental being of death whose very name was scoured from history by the God King's agents. They've erased this guy's name from everything, like the two Primarchs. Uh, it was so dangerous that the foremost stormkeeper of the Anvils of the Heldenhammer was constructed to stand guard over the mausoleum and the entrance to the tomb. So it's so evil that they've actually erased his name. It's like They're erasing all evidence that he existed. So that's crazy. What's next? Uh, you've got the Orb City of Calumnexus, uh, which floats above the molten tides in the Beryllium Sea. Um, and the mist around it's like vitriolic and deadly. And it's a floating city. So naturally, that's where like Carajan and Zinch would go, and as well as the Grotbag Scuttlers. Didn't fail to mention then. Um, but so far. No one's breached the outer levels because of how well guarded and trapped it is, and it's manned essentially by like um, autonoma, like mechanical soldiers, like the Golden Army. Right. Well, it's what not, I'm imagining. Well, it's not only that; it's the air around it. If the people, because well, mm-hmm. you, you have to fly into it, and it yeah. says it, the, it, it, it'll rust the iron on any of their flying ships, like so quick that they can barely get in there and get out again. Mm-hmm. So, like, that, the, just that, that mist, that fog around the place is actually, you know, like, acidic or whatever. It's it's chewing through the, the you know, the materials that they're flying in on. So, uh-oh. So, almost nobody's got through anything of that. So, you've got a whole flying city that they basically said, yeah, and we've told you nothing other than it's hard to get in there and it's dangerous. For those of you who like to make up your own stuff. Uh, what else do they got? They got the Silent Fortress of Agarin. Mm-hmm. Um, Admiral Zunkt of Beric Zilfen came back from there with a ton of treasure and a sparkling amulet of Viridian that he never lets out of his sight. Um, in fact, mo- he hasn't been seen out in public too much lately, and he stays in his chambers and his servants hear lots of strange sounds and cruel laughter coming from his chambers, um, even though he's in there alone with his sparkling amulet. So mm-hmm. <laughs> someone picked up a monkey's paw there. That's not a good thing. No. And what was the last one we had? The uh, Bitter Blood Caverns. Um, and Bitter Blood uh, is this bl- massive bloated corpse worm the size of a moon so this is like a god beast level thing and then some right um so sigmar then smashes said corpse worm and it bursts into millions of tiny formless children i'm imagining these are more worms um and they grow and every time it happened to keep going on and on and on so 
instead of having to keep smashing these bugs only to make more, um, he instead locked them all away into a storm vault. Yep. Well, what else could you do? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's when you try to think about like what is so massive that Sigmar could not destroy with with uh, Galmaraz at his prime. Yeah. Um, these. This is a perfect example. It's just something that you cannot kill. Yeah. So you can only contain this. And this is the type of stuff he locks up in these places. Mm-hmm. All right, that's the story. That's everything. Yeah. All right. And like you had mentioned, this is only one major campaign. Yeah. For Stormbolts. Uh, dude, they could release all sorts of little things for this. Um, even some open play cards to give you a variety on different things that you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, they give you a whole campaign. We're going to get into it. I mean, then that campaign's got to go at least seven games to be played. Because yeah. you've got to win six to even try to open the Storm Vault. Mm-hmm. So it's there's so much happening here. Um, plus, if you're... One of the, if you're like a narrative event organizer or if you're just doing a little narrative event with your friends, um, they just dropped all these names and all these things. Um, you can make up your own storm vault. You can make up your own prize to go for. You can make up your own bonuses. Um, there's enough here for the people who want to make their own stuff up as well as people who just want to want what's in there to be good because that's what they're going to go with. I'm really happy with this. I'm really happy with it. Way more than Malign Portents. I thought that's what this was going to be. Yeah, um, and when we got this uh, for playtesting, um, we actually didn't get a whole lot of this backstory. Um, so it was like, okay, cool. It's new endless spells, new train feature, new allegiances. That's great. Um, reading the story, much more jazz. Like, this it gets you excited about the game again because we've had you know just a ton of army books coming out um, in different battle tomes, but now we're going into a new direction that again has more limitless possibilities. Right. Um, so that I really like. But um, yeah, no, this is great. I am really happy with this set compared to like what you had talked about, like my importance, even like malign sorcery. Um, but that was just the setup for endless spells, whereas this is moving the story along. Yeah, no, this is, and it well, it's moving the story along a little bit, but a lot of this is all that backstory and that build up to it that they're giving us. Um, a lot of times, especially with the books, they always like almost every book gives you that little recap of. Uh, mm-hmm. it, there was the tie. There was the myth, and then the age of chaos, and now it's the age of Sigmar, and now this is happening. Um, and they recap it with really nice pictures and a quick recap. But here, it was just like it went up, and then it was like, and then this also happened while that was yeah. happening. Oh, really? And they're like, "Yep." Now let's back up and let's show you what this is. That thing, this thing that just appeared and shocked everybody. There's, a, I got a story for you, and the story's good. Yeah. So yeah. Now, no, when they tease the storm vaults opening, did you think it was another stormcast chamber? Uh, I didn't know what it was. I honestly hoped it wasn't another stormcast chamber. Not that I don't want more stormcast, even though I don't have everything that, for them already. Um, in fact, I would like them to slow down the stormcast releases because I think what there's only what three chambers left, or is it four? There's enough. Yeah, you know what? You don't need more than one a year. 
You really don't. In fact, one a year seems almost a bit quick. Uh, I'm not complaining, but I'm just complaining. Um, I was just hoping yeah. it wasn't another chamber. And I was glad when it wasn't. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Yeah. There was a lot of my friends that were like, Storm Vault, more Stormcast, yay. And I'm just, I can't say anything. It's like, you have <laughs> no idea. No, this is, this is some cool. There's some cool stuff coming up here. Um, I'm not 100% certain if it's all great for like a tournament, unless it was a narrative event. Um, but I think there is stuff there that you can use in a tournament. Like you could play and use certain parts of it. So we'll get into that, though, when we get back, because we're going to come back. We've finished all the lore, um, so we're going to get into the, the rules and that type of thing. Uh, when we come back. Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. Wow, that's terrible. But they're not. They carry the full GW range for all your hobby cravings, and customers get 10% off their purchases every single day at Lindsay's Gamer Garrison. What makes Lindsay so special? Well, there's weekend events for AOS, 40K, Underworlds, Song of Ice and Fire, Star Wars Legions, pretty much every other tabletop game going on, and they've got something there going on almost every weekend. If tabletop gaming's your thing, there's always something happening at Lindsay's. But David, you say, what if I want to support Lindsay's but can't always make it out there? Well, I'm glad you asked. Lindsay's online store makes shopping easy. Just go to lindsaysgarrison.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-S, garrison.com, and fill your cart with hobby goodness. Show listeners. You can enter GH Savings at checkout for extra specials and discounts. And did I mention free shipping for orders over 50 bucks? Because, yeah, there's free shipping for orders over 50 bucks. That's like a book in a box or two boxes. It's so easy. That's Lindsay's. And don't forget, enter GH Savings at checkout at lindsaysgarrison.com. That's Lindsay's Game of Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. That's horrible. I'm leaving it in. You've had the lore. Now it's time for the war. And uh, that was terrible. Harrison is shocked over here. We got so much to talk about. This is there's a lot of stuff in here. There is, uh, and I'm going to rely on you as the to extraordinaire to oh, give me the uh, give me the lowdown on what you think of these things. I will yes. be reading stuff and asking because I looked at it all. and I said this looks cool because that's what I always say, but I haven't figured out yes. how it all goes together yet, except mm-hmm. for some uh, except for some serious uh, bravery bombs. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, we're not going to go in just the regular book order. I think we're going to kind of talk about some of the new things first and then mm-hmm. um, get into some of the story part. So I think first we're going to talk about mercenaries, aren't we? Because that's the newest thing in here. Yeah. When they tease the concept of mercenaries uh, – they didn't outright mention that it was only fire slayers or flesh eater courts. Um, yep. But it makes sense to the campaign. Like there was a lot of people that are like, Oh, you know, why well, get to ally this, this, and this. And it's like, 
no, the mercenaries are a little more restricted. They're more towards the narrative. Yeah. Um, and when we go through it, you'll understand like they're, you can take these things and they're cool. You can do a lot of weird stuff with it, but it comes at a cost. Yeah. And like the first time I, I, I looked, I heard about it and I thought about it and they're like, oh, these are the only two things you can merge. And at first I was like, that doesn't make any sense. There are so many cell swords in other armies too that you could totally use in this. Um, yeah, but then as soon as I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, this is, this is, the, these are cool, but these are totally narrative. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Now, you can use these in match play if you want to. Um, they have, but, see, at first when I read the rules, I was like, what about points? Because it totally sounded narrative. And then you drop down like three sections, it's like, oh, pitched battles, here you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's talk about this. So, if you're playing pitched battle, which uh, let's we'll we'll talk about the narrative difference later. Um, you can spend ally points on mercenary units. Yep. So you could so whatever your percentage it's twenty percent, right? Uh, yes, and one out of every four. Yes. So twenty percent points of your army up to what? Yeah, one in four. They're, they don't count for battle line, but they do count against leaders, behemoths, and artillery. And you can take them in, and they have little special abilities and stuff. Um, yeah. But so, go ahead. You don't have a limit. Uh, like, for the Fletcher Decords, you don't. Like, when you summon stuff, it doesn't count against your allotment of mercenary units. Um, and you can take these with any Grand Alliance army or any particular faction. So anybody can hire these guys out. Um, the cost is, if you include any mercenary units, you gain the following rule, which is disruptive presence, which is if you have any mercenary units at the start of your hero phase in the first battle round, you do not receive one command point. So you- Now, I know some people are like, oh, command point, that's a, not a big deal. No, no, it, it is a big deal. Yeah, that is a huge resource that you're committing to take these things. Um, and when we talk about the flesh eater court part of it, especially, it's like, well, you know, I'll just take an abhorrent art regent and then summon whatever flesh eater stuff I need. It's like, okay, well, that's cool, but you lose a command point. It's a unit that depends on a command point. It's expensive because he's like two hundred points. So you then throw and lose your command point, so you have to wait till turn two to even use it, but then you're not using the command abilities of other models in your army. So there is a huge trade. And then they don't get the death save with regards to the flesh eaters. So they're not nearly as resilient and they just fold like paper. Okay. But I, you see a lot of stink on Twitter about something like that or on Facebook. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I'll just take this and summon these. It's like, well, it's a huge investment to summon stuff in a non-flesh eater army. So, yeah, take it with a grain of salt, folks. Like, there is a cost to do it, and it does impede your ability to function normally. But enough about the negative. Sorry. Do you want to <laughs> talk about the cool part? Sure. Okay. So since we're on the subject of Flesh Eaters, um, this is representing the Tenebris Court that we talked about in the lore episode, which is like the army of ghouls that maintains like an 
uneasy alliance with Lethus. So when mercenary units, you cannot include any royal terrorgeist or royal zombie dragons. Um, those are the units, not the character versions. Okay. So, um, and then they get the additional ability called Frightful Allies, which is you get to add one to hit rolls for attacks made by Flesh Eater, Quartz, Mercenary Units that made a charge move in the same turn. However, they cannot retreat. So once you're committed, you're committed. Okay. That still seems pretty good. It is. Um, I mean, I could, just, I could drop another 100 points and start with a couple command points and start summoning up things. Mm-hmm. Right on the first turn, if I'm willing to take the thing and take a little hit on the on the on the points. Yeah. So to use it effectively, if you want to get your two command points to summon stuff right away from two abhorrence, that's 500 points out of your army that you've already committed to two guys and summoning two units of very squishy ghouls or a vargul for three knights. So. I don't know. Well, poop. No, no, it's cool. Again, and I think it'll see some play because people will want to make it work because if you've played any sort of flesh eater, you know how powerful having those extra troops are. But the cost is it's 500 points plus the two models that you can't get outside of a Carrion Empire box, at least at the moment. Oh, that's true. So there is a cost to do it. I mean, even if you take a ghoul king, you still have to get a terror geist and then the ten ghouls. So, yeah. Take it for what you will. It's cool. And I think, like, some passive synergy stuff would be all right with the ghoul king giving ghouls buffs or giving the, what are they, uh, the crypt horrors a buff. Passively, but again, you're not going to get the most out of them. So, I mean, try it out, folks. See what you like and let us know if you get these things to work. Because um, there is certainly a cost to. But. And then Fire Slayers finally get to be mercenaries. Like actual <laughs> mercenaries. Yep, except the Rune Fathers. Yeah, and that's Rune Father keyword. So that includes Magma Droths. Yeah. So but big, what do they do? They get an extra rule, don't they? Yeah. So plus one to hit for all attacks made with melee weapons that target enemy units that made a charge move in the same turn. So if you charge, I, if I'll go after you, and I get plus one to hit. However, from the start of the third battle round, minus one bravery for friendly mercenary units while they are not wholly within 18 inches of the general. So from the third turn on, they've got to be within a foot and a half of the general, or they take a bravery hit. Mm-hmm. Which may be worth it to go in, you know, for the plus one to hit, you know. You're like, I'm going to stretch out and lose that anyway, because you never know what you got to do. Sometimes you got to make that run for it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, uh... I don't know. I thought this looked fun, but that's also because this is, see, this may not be any good, but you could talk me into playing it because I got Stormcast and I got Death, and you could be like, hey, why don't we just pick up some Fire Slayers and, and make a couple of 
units for uh, mercenaries. And I'd be like, hey, I would like to do that. Like, see mm-hmm. how that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's where I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, look, more excuses to play, try different toys. Yeah, and this gives you more options to use models in your collection, or even just to pick up a couple of units if you like the models. Um, I think stuff that would be good for the Fire Slayers would probably be the Auric Hearthguard, uh, because it is a melee weapon, melee uh, shooting unit. They're fairly cheap. Uh, they're still durable and they're good against monsters, uh-huh. which a lot of armies may suffer with. Um, or you could look at like the uh, Hearthguard Berserkers, but those guys are really expensive. Yeah, what you get, and you need a character nearby to make them extra tough. See, that's when you just play the narrative, and then you're just like, I can bring up to one and four, and I just yeah. Them. No, you could totally do the narrative and be perfectly happy with this. Um, because there's a bunch to go with this. Yeah. Like there's, I'm, I'm just, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm flipping through all this, going, oh, there, look at this, look at that, and then they got the terrain coming out that you know, mm-hmm. oh, this is bananas. Yeah, there's a lot to go along with this box. But even if um, I, you know, I mean, so it doesn't seem all that like crazy like is there some way that this becomes crazy that i'm not seeing the mercenaries part with the flesh eaters it's putting summoning in something that doesn't normally summon um, okay. which is namely anything and you're putting troops in on board edges that can come on and cheek objectives but like i mentioned there is a cost right no but i'm just saying because i'm looking at it going i can totally see this being allowed at, at at, at an event mm-hmm. because it's it's not I mean yeah it's cool but it doesn't list I'm just I'm looking at it going okay how does how do you break this and I'm like I don't see anything but that's not how yeah the broke part the closest thing you get to the broke part is the summoning out of flesh eaters okay it's the closest thing all right so I mean that's it for mercenaries I I like I said if I had some of those models, I'd probably do it. I'd probably try it. Or if someone else mm-hmm. had them and wanted to try it, I would say go right ahead. Yeah. Um, there. Nope. That was it. Okay. There was something else I wanted to check, but that was not there. All right. Cool. All right. So now the other stuff that everybody can get are the endless spells and the new penumbral engine. I like that model. Yeah, it's pretty slick. <laughs> yeah paint that up the right way and it's gonna that, that'd be something really nice mm-hmm. um and this is uh so now everyone can take one of these and it gets placed yeah. down you have the you know the, the placement rules uh you get to place terrain if everybody if someone else can place terrain then you got to roll off to see who does it first you got to be at least an inch away from other terrain that kind of blah 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 so it's a single terrain feature. It's an obstacle. At the start of the first battle round, after determining who has the first turn, roll a die and consult the table on the right to determine the function of the penumbral terrain feature on the battlefield for the duration of the battle. Okay, so start of the game, roll a d6 on a 1 to 3. Reroll all save rolls of 1 for attacks targeting units wholly within 12 inches of any penumbral terrain features. So if you're near it, you get a reroll of save. That's the Ori of Obfuscation. Then Illumination is the opposite. At the start of the hero phase, you get an extra command point for any 
if any friendly heroes are within 12 inches of any phenomenal terrain feature. That's the other one. So you roll off and you get one or the other. But the start of after of every battle round after the first roll of die and on a five or six, it switches functions. Mm-hmm. So you you can get one or the other or both over the course of a game. It's you're either rerolling saves or you're getting extra command points. I mean that's actually pretty good. I would. Yeah. The other thing to consider is how big is this. I can't, um, in the picture, in the book, it looks like it's on that other piece of terrain, that stone squared off one. Mm-hmm. The, de- the de- well, one of the daises, I don't remember the name. I can look the Rock Me Amadeus? Yes, yes, that is exactly what I was thinking. You read my mind. Mm-hmm. It's uncanny and almost frightening. A little bit. And, um, it's more like Rock Me Anadeus, but, you know. Yeah, but the other way's funnier. Now you ruin Truth. It. Sorry. <laughs> Someone had to ruin something, and it was my turn. <laughs> oh, I ruined the whole beginning of this. I was just, I was terrible. Yeah, we know. Um, in any event, so it's 100 points. Yep. Um, it does cost uh, points out of your allies. So The engine costs out of your allies? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you can only include one, so it's not like you can buy four of these as your ally points. Um, oh, okay. yep. You only get one. But it's one of those things that if you have an army that already has a terrain feature, uh, whether it's Deepkin Boats or the Feculent Narmaz or this, that, and the other thing, you're adding more stuff to get in the way if you want to play defensively and go up the board with terrain. Plus, it gives you a lot of really cool abilities. Uh, rerolls and extra command abilities are nothing to be sneezed at. No. So, I I, I like its look, and I like what it does. Mm-hmm. And- I think it's going to see play um, outside of like the narrative. It'll see play and pitched, I'm sure. And I think it benefits a lot of armies like the Grand Alliances or the ones that don't have battle tomes. Um to help make up for their shortcomings, even if it does cost points. Got you. Um, I don't know how big it is, but I think it's this uh, shattered temple. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like the engine's on. And yeah. That's, so, I mean, it, it's, it's probably about three inches across is my guess. Yeah, it's not. it shouldn't be all that big, um, but it should be big enough that you could try to hide something behind it that it is an obstacle that can block a lane. So, yeah, it's cool. Absolutely. So, um, do we want to go? Now, they gave us in this box, I've got, we got four endless spells, and then, mm-hmm. oh, these are the uh, war scrolls for the the ruins and the dais and the temple and the storm vault and the storm throne. Well, we could look at those later if we want to. Yeah, for sure. I didn't realize they were in here. I'm just kind of going through the cards right now. I'm in li- I ain't lying. I was reading the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you want to go over these endless spells? So I keep asking that. I suppose I should just shut up and do it. So let's start with the horror ghast because I'm going alphabetically because I can't think of any better way to go. Yeah. Now this is the model that looks like Nagash's disembodied floating head. Yes. It's predatory. It moves nine inches and can fly. 
has a casting value of six. Set it up within 12. <sighs> Let it go. All right. So here's what it does. Minus one bravery for units within 12 inches of this model. Minus two if they are within six inches of the model. Uh, other thing, if your battle is taking place in the realm of death, it can move 12 inches instead of nine. So total bravery bomb. Mm-hmm. How much yeah, it's, it's 60 points. Uh, the biggest thing with the horror gas is that it's going to ch- combo very nicely with armies that already benefit from bravery debuffs. Um, I'm looking at you, Flesh Eater Courts, Night Haunt, um, anybody that really screws up with your bravery or has abilities that if like they roll over your bravery, you're dead. Um, this guy is pretty much auto if you're going to do it. Like Especially like if you're running a Terror Geist with his yell or the Banshee Screams if you're doing Night Haunt. Because yeah. Night Haunt in general do the minus one. If you're taking Night Haunt and then you add the Horror Ghast, you're now minus another one or minus possibly two. Um, so your bravery suddenly drops substantially. Oh, yeah. Because I was looking at some of these other parts and these abilities for these uh, Allegiance abilities. And I was just like, oh, man, even I see that coming. I'm like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Laoshan the Soul Seeker. Yeah, this is the Th- boat. This is the boat. Okay. Um, it can move 12 inches and fly. It is predatory. Um, summon launching the soul seeker is uh, it's on six. Set him up within 12. Is it holy within 12 or just 12? Holy within 12. Okay. Uh, when this is set up, the player set up can move it. If you're playing in the realm of death, it moves 18, not 12. Mm-hmm. And here is a special ability. Before a player makes a move with this model, pick a friendly unit wholly within three inches of this model. Remove that unit and put it aside. After this model has been moved, set it up again wholly within three inches of this model and more than nine inches from enemy units. Once that unit has been set up, one model from that unit is immediately slain. Mm-hmm. Pick a friendly unit wholly within three and remove it. Oh, so it's taking someone with it. Yeah, it's essentially a teleport spell. Um, so this is one of those things, like, if you have an army that you said, oh, man, if only I could alpha strike like some of the other armies do, there's a boat for you. <laughs> so essentially what you're doing is you're going to set him up and then basically take one of your big nasty units and deliver it to the other side of the table um, after you've buffed it's them be through, holy like, spells within three. Yeah, so the real question is how many models can you get wholly within three of that particular boat? Fortunately, I have a very good friend in Detroit who came up with um, a very nice PDF about how this all lays out. So if you're on a 25-millimeter base, you can get 50 models in range of the boat. Here's my question. Yeah. I have to summon this thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So... I have to, so I, I have to summon it, and then before I can do this thing, uh, I have to pick a friendly. I would have to set that unit up ahead of time before yes, I summon if you're it. Gonna, like yep. so, move, you have to set it up in a donut, essentially. 
yeah, movement phase turn one. Like, okay, I'm going to move, and then I'd be laying down basically a base for that is the size of that thing, and then moving the whole army around it, and then lifting up the base. When right? you're deploying, yes. Oh, yeah. If you, I suppose you can do it during deployment. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do it during deployment on first turn, you're going to have to move to the move to where you want to be and into that position. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's kind of cool. How much is this? Uh, he is sixty points. Um, but again, it's a model dies, so you can't just single up a monster or a character through Laoshan, otherwise he'll just kill him. That's true. So this is only for like teleporting units. Um, so that's the issue with Laoshan. Um, and then a fun fact: if you're on a thirty-two millimeter base, you can get thirty models wholly within. And if you're on a forty millimeter base, you can get nineteen. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but the important thing is, it's before, it's after you move the unit through Laoshan that he kills somebody. So this is not kill somebody and then Laoshan takes them. You have to have all models in the unit wholly within three of him before he picks them up. Okay. So it's not like you can have a unit of. 20 guys on 40 mils, he lengths one of them and moves 19. It's, you have to have yeah, 19 You have to move the unit, and then mils. you move him, and then you put the unit back within three of him. Yep. And then he knifes somebody. So, I mean, it's cool. Again, it's the office strike, but the issue with Laoshan is that he can then come back at you. Uh-huh. Because someone else will just pay him to take him across the table. So it is potential for a double-edged sword like the Umbral Spell Portal. Right. So it's like, you can cast through it, sure, but then your opponent can cast through it. Oh. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, should we move to the next one? Yeah. Okay, Shards of Valagar. That's the thing that looks like the two chunks on the ground. Mm-hmm. So this is two models. If it's dispelled, remove them both. Cast it on a five. Set it up. Uh, set up the first one wholly within six of the caster, and the second one wholly within twelve of the first. Uh, start of the movement phase. You know, imaginary straight line between the closest part of the base of the two shards. Models. Each unit passed across by this line is ensnared until the end of that turn. Half the movement characteristic. In addition, subtract one from hit roll attacks uh, made by units that are ensnared. Mm-hmm. So you drop this one down, and then you drop one 12 inches away, and everything in the middle of it gets slowed down. Yeah. Okay. At the start of the battle round, after determining who has the first turn, the players must roll off. The winner can remove one shard and set it up anywhere wholly within 12 inch of the other shard. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so it's pseudo predatory. Yeah, yep. And if you're in, if you're in, uh, sh- if you're in the realm of death, you can start the first one twelve inches away instead of six. Mm-hmm. That's a cool idea. Like, yeah. I don't know, I don't know how great it would work. Like, I, you'd have to be clever. I mean, you, you got to be cleverer than me to figure this one out because I'm just like, I could, I, I can see how the, how it could be used. 
But I could, I just, I have a feeling that someone who really knew how to use this could just mess you up. Or all your, I mean, especially if you're so movement based, it's like, oh no, you're not moving that much, and it's easy to hit you. Yeah, the or it's this, hard for you to hit. Um, essentially, functions like another version of like soul soul snare shackles. Yep. Um, it's one of those things that you can combine it with soul with the with the shackles, and you really impede your opponent's movement. Um, or if you're a dirty rat and take the warp lightning vortex in addition to this and the shackles, you're just taking a worse rat trap. Goodness. Hmm. Yeah. How many, so how much are these? They're forty points. Uh, oh, that's the big thing. Cheap. But it's again, it's only a dispel on a five. Oh, that's true. So if you don't like it, it's easier to blow up than the vortex. Um, and they have to be within a smaller range of each other, and they don't move like the geminids do, right? Or, Something like that. So they're very stationary for where they can move to. And again, it's a five. So you, sent, like, chances are you're going to blow it up if you want it gone. Yeah. So. Well, but I mean, so then, yeah, let them blow it up. Then at least it's not on me. They're not mm-hmm. turning it around on me. Exactly. If it's a cheap spell, you could throw it. I mean, I don't know if I'm spending 40 points on it. That's what I'm saying. But cheap spell, throw it out. Slow things down. Let them let them waste a spell getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Soul Scream Bridge. This one's the bridge. Yes. Um, cast on a six. First one wholly within six of the caster. Twelve. Uh, second one wholly within twelve of the first. Um, at the start of the movement phase, all friendly units wholly within six inches of one of the skulls. Uh, one of the one of the pieces of the model can travel across the bridge. If they do so, remove that unit and set up wholly within six inches of the other bridge uh, model, more than nine inches from enemy units. That can This unit cannot make a normal move that phase. So, all right, so it's a teleport bridge. Mm-hmm. We've got one here and one there. Get near the one end, snap, whomp, go to the other side. Yep. Okay. Then does it have an empowered rule? Um. Yeah, it's got something else too. Uh, Nightmarish Contract minus one bravery for enemy units within six inches of a bridge. It has no effect on death units. Bump, bump. Um. So it's another death bomb uh, added to the minus two for the other one. Uh. Yeah. The empowered. If you're playing in death, the second bridge must be set up wholly within twenty-four inches of the. Oh. Oh. So you set the first one down within six and then the second one within 24 mm-hmm. you can't move again but that's a huge jump yeah so again if you're an army that does not have alpha striking capability you suddenly have another one and holy within six inches is a lot easier to do than holy within three and it doesn't cost somebody to die yeah I wonder how many units you could fit in a six-inch bubble around this. Probably all of a size of a unit. Yeah. And again, it depends. It also has some tighter limits than Laoshan does. Yeah, because you've got to be nine inches away from enemy units, too. Yeah, I mean, you still have to do that with Laoshan, but um, it's still one of those things that doesn't require that it's not predatory. Um, So... 
once you set up the bridge, it's there until somebody knocks it down. Whereas Laoshan can move around and get in the way. But this thing is another, like you mentioned, a bravery debuff. So in addition to providing a movement piece, it also combines really nicely with a horror ghast and then all the other things that want bravery debuffs. I, and how much is this one? This one's 80. Um, but again, it's a bit of a shorter range than Laoshan, but it doesn't cost somebody to die. If I was playing the realm of death, I would totally take this though. Yeah, no, if you're in because death, it doesn't affect following. my army because it that that it, the minus one bravery is to enemy units. So if your enemy is death, then you just basically lose that uh, that ability. But yeah, mm-hmm. for twenty four inch, oh yeah. And if you notice, like three of the four endless spells in this set are based around movement. Yeah, and the ability to impede or improve. So that's a new level because, like, a lot of the ones from Malign Sorcery were just like D three damage uh, or D three mortal wounds, minus one bravery, yada yada yada. Um, they felt a lot samey samey. So, but now this is a very unique set of endless spells. All right, so why don't we talk about this uh, these scenery? There's five uh, sets of scenery rules, um, all of it to go with this. The story of the storm, the storm vaults. So um, let's start with the basic one: the time worn ruin. This is just all the little bits of rubbly stuff. They all have to be within an inch of another model, and they're each one of them is an obstacle. Okay, uh, it's deadly. Uh, are used for it, uh, and that's it. Roll a dice for each unit that finishes a normal move or charge move within an inch of deadly terrain on a one that takes D three mortal wounds. So you can go in there for cover, but you may get yourself hurt. Mm-hmm. Simple. Uh, what does the temple do? The temple is deadly and arcane at the same time. Uh, anything else interesting? The Sigmarite Deus, uh, Dias, sorry, um, order treats it like it's inspiring. Uh, chaos, destruction, and death treated as sinister. So plus one bravery for order, minus one bravery for everybody else. Blam, blam, blam. Uh, and the storm vault and the storm throne are the ones that uh, have a little bit extra to it. Um, the storm throne, it's inspiring to order. It's sinister to chaos, death, and destruction. At the start of a battle round, roll a die for each endless spell within six inch of this. On a six, it is immediately dispelled. In addition, each time a unit wholly within the terrain feature is affected by a spell or endless spell, roll a die. On a six, you ignore the effects of the hmm. spell or endless spell for that unit. That's pretty neat. Yeah. So it's 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 magic resistant. Just mm-hmm. a little bit. But it's only for endless spells. No, um... It, it endless spells within six. You can blow up. Yeah. On a six, they could blow up. If your unit is wholly within this, if you're all if you're all on the storm throne, <laughs> and uh, someone casts a spell at you or an endless spell on a oh, six okay. up, you ignore it. 
So you, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean it's not the biggest chance, but it's a chance, and I'll I'll run there if I know mm-hmm. someone's pitching spells left and right. Yeah. So, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then the last one is the Storm Vault. This one starts off in your hero phrase. One friendly hero within an inch can attempt to unlock it. On a one, the hero takes D3 mortal wounds. On a six, the vault is unlocked. Everything else is nothing. Uh, when it's unlocked, roll a D3, consult the table to determine what treasure is found. Apply that to that hero that unlocked the vault. Once it's been unlocked, no further attempts can be made to unlock it during the battle because obviously it's empty. Um, so if if you are within an inch and you roll a six, and you can do it, you try it once per turn. Um, either you get you pick one of your weapons and add one to the damage characteristic for the rest of the battle. Uh, you can attempt to cast one arcane bolt in your hero phase as if you were a wizard. If you're already a wizard, you can cast an extra spell in your hero phase, and that's for the rest of the battle. Um, or immediately set up an endless spell wholly within 12 inches of the hero as if they'd cast it. That's worth it. Hmm. That's worth trying. Yeah. I mean, that's not something you're going to have at a, at a tournament, uh, you know, or because that's not for... You know, that's not going to work well for pitch battle, I don't think. Maybe it would. But you want to put that down as terrain, I suppose. Yeah, it just it requires a lot of additional ex- endless spells uh, to be available to the collection. Um, so I don't think you'll see it in like a large event. But if you're playing for fun at the shop or doing part of the campaign, you should probably use it. Yeah. Um, the When I finally get the uh, narrative... Uh, three round thing going at Lindsay's. You know, if we've if they've got if we got some of this stuff there, I'll I'll put I'll throw these these campaign rule things in there. Some of these look pretty fun. Um, and that's it. That's that's the uh, that's the scenery. That's everything. Um, okay. Once again, lots of cool stuff. But. Um, I don't know who's gonna. I don't know who's gonna use it. Uh, Everybody. Everybody. I'm gonna buy that terrain. Oh yeah. Oh show. Um. All right. So let's move on to talking about this. uh, This campaign. So uh, this is the Storm Vault campaign. You're trying to go through lesser Storm Vaults, get a bunch of bonuses, and. Get enough bonuses, you can go unlock the major storm vault. Um, so, this is the stuff that you can do. Um, do we want to talk about what we can do in the campaign, or do we want to talk about that after we talk about all the cool new uh, allegiance abilities and things like that? We should probably do the allegiance abilities. Yeah. Um, so, there are two that came in this uh, to represent the forces defending Lethus, um, as well as the Legion of Grief. So it's a new order allegiance and a new death allegiance. Um, and these are obviously going to be able to be used outside of the narrative. Um, so these can certainly be used for match play, I believe. Uh, so this book isn't just for the narrative players. This obviously has a lot of pitched battle and a lot of like tournament stuff, like in the spells and this, that, and the other thing. Now, so 
I thought this region was pretty cool. Now maybe it's yeah. I liked, but I like I like both of the armies that are in this in this campaign here. So maybe that just seems like fun to me. Yeah, the Roman battle that uh, you're referring to is Stigix, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the prime innerlands in the realm of death. Uh, that's where the whole campaign is set for the Midnight Tomb. So it's basically uh, the realm sphere stuff has to do with the lore, with uh, the realm of death. So it has the same spell, uh, Pall of Doom, available to it, right. as well as the realm command abilities. It does have two additional things. Uh, there's a realmscape prayer that priests can chant, um, and it's only one, and it's communion with the ancient dead. So in your here phase, one friendly model that knows this prayer can chant it, and this is any priest uh, that's in your army, and it can only be chanted once per turn. Um, you roll a dice. On a one, you take a mortal wound. And the prayer is not answered. On a two to five, the prayer is not answered. But on a six, you gain an additional command point. So I, I try it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, why not? Yeah, it's only one mortal wound. Um, the biggest thing with this is that death uh, does not have a lot of priests. Um, I don't think they have any. Um, and then destruction, I can't really think of one off the top of my head that is a priest um, out of their character allotment because I believe that they are all wizards because they're mostly like shamans. Oh, okay. Uh, so this big one, it affects uh, mostly order armies that have priests. So you're looking at anybody that took Devoted, uh, Stormcast, and Ident Deepkin. Uh, so yeah, it is a little lopsided, isn't it? It can't be, yeah. But also, if you're playing corn, uh, your slaughter priest is a priest. Oh, that's true. Like they need more command points because they do. Is energies of, of the midnight tomb part of? Yeah, the... that's the unique realmscape feature. Um, so that is if the casting roll for a spell is a double, it is successfully cast and cannot be unbound. Infinite Force. Yeah, Irresistible, irresistible force. force. I think it does exist in um, one of the realms, um, but this is a much more toned-down version. Because I think you take Mortal Wounds if you do it. I think it's the Realm of Metal. Oh, wow. Um, where you get the double, it goes off irresistibly, but you take damage for it. This just goes. Oh, okay. So that'll then benefit more the Death and the Destruction armies that have a lot of Wizards. So that's our realm of battle. Now we were talking before the show because um, I like we haven't seen these in a while. No, we haven't seen uh, like a real definition of the region of war um, since the Realmscape Wars books. Uh, so it's right. like I mean, I remember uh, when they were running uh, with the with the pod, Alarial pod. Like they would, you'd get that, you get all of these. Uh, different region with different rules remember all the ice flows and all the weird things that would happen mm-hmm. but we haven't seen them in forever I'm like when can you use these when do we use these when we really don't use these I'm like oh okay yeah it even says like it it works um, especially well for battles that are fought as part of a Stormball campaign set in Stigix so if you're following the uh, Midnight Tomb campaign this would be the place to do it 
It's already pre-selected for you. Right. So now you get uh, we get two sets of allegiance abilities. You get the two the two basically the two forces that are in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like about this is if you decide to play it, that's cool, and it gives you some variety and some cool new abilities. But it's three command traits, three artifacts, three prayers, and say, uh, and on the other one, it's three uh, command traits, three artifacts, and three spells. Like it's not full on like like the other ones we've had lately with six and everything. They're playing a little specialty. They got a few specific items that run for the story. Um, mm-hmm. So again, you could totally, I could, I, I would totally allow someone to take this allegiance ability if we were playing at the store. Um, yeah. I, I, I actually, unless I'm unless I'm missing something, I, I this could totally be played in a competitive event, couldn't it? It could. Um, we did part of playtesting for this um, when we were when they were going through the development. So this is something that you can should play in uh, pitch or match play. Excellent. So let's go over this thing. So first we got the Lathesian army. Uh, these are the the good guys or, or the order guys, I guess you'd say. Now. You make a Lathesian army, you can take Stormcast, Ideneth, KO, Fire Slayers, or Excelsior Warpriest. What's an Excelsior Warpriest? Okay, so if you remember Warhammer Quest. Right. The priest with the Griffhound, he's holding the hammer up in the air. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what the Excelsior Warpriest oh, is. You could take him. Okay. Um, because that's following the narrative uh, because of the high accolator. Um, he is an Excelsior War Priest. Oh, okay. So, oh, that's, that's right. What, yeah, that's what um, it's for. Oh god, I'm so stupid. All right. Yeah, okay. Also, you cannot take units that are Hammers of Sigmar, Vostarg, or Volturnos. So, no named characters are named. Uh, you know, or uh, you can't be Hammers of Sigmar because these guys are the uh, Anvils of the Helden Hammer. Right. Um. And then the Vostar, that has to do with the uh, Warhammer Underworlds characters, the Chosen Axes. You can't take them. Right. Because they have the Vostar, and it's supposed to represent the Greyfeard Lodge. Um, and then you can't take Voltornis, because obviously he's not there, because he's with one of the other enclaves. But interesting enough, you can take Lotan. Yep. If you wanted to take a named character. So let's look at this quick. They've got three battle traits. They're Guardians of the Raven City uh, is their battle trait thing. So they come on here. Um, the Now, you've got, like I said, Stormcast Eternals are human. Uh, mm-hmm. The Excelsior War Priest is human. Deepkin are... Uh, the Deepkin. Yeah, they're Deepkin. And then the Overlords and the Fire Slayers are Dwarden. So in this... Human and Dwarden Lathesian uh, defenders, they get plus one to hit with melee weapons against units that charged that turn. Mm-hmm. So if they get charged, they get plus one to hit. Yeah. Or if they're just near a unit that charged, they don't have to be the one who is charged. Um, now, but now if you're a Kellyan, which is the Deepkin stuff, right? You get plus. That's the Deepkin cavalry. Oh, okay. So that's the eels, the sharks, and the turtle. And okay. the king. 
So if you've got those, they're plus one to move and plus one to charge. And then the last one, if you got any liberators uh, within tw- wholly within 12 inches of uh, Stormcast Hero, they get plus one to save, but they can't pile in. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a command ability. You use that at the start of an enemy combat phase. Yes. That's kind of interesting. During your combat phase, I use this. I'm not going to, I can't pile in, but I'm getting plus one to save. Yeah, so that's supposed to tie in with uh, the Warriors of the Grand Acropolis. Right. Um, so that's the add plus one to hit, now you're adding plus one to save on the Liberator unit, um, which if you have a Lord Castellan, you're looking at getting them down to a two plus uh, with regards to the save because they slam their shields, add plus one, the Lantern gives them another one. Right. And then they reroll ones. And then if they're fighting against something with five or more wounds, they get the plus one to hit from Lalo the Tyrants, and then they get the plus one to hit from the Defender rule. Okay, cool. So if you have a hammer, you can get them down to a two plus to hit, with a two plus save, um, rerolling ones. Let's move on to the command traits. So you can either make your general a priest... And if he's already a priest, he gets two two of the prayers that they that these guys can get, or you can uh, have them not take battle shock within twelve inches, wholly within twelve inches of the general, or plus one to the general's wound characteristics and minus one bravery for all units within six inches of him. Mm-hmm. So I mean, basic stuff. Yeah, the no battle shock is a big one. Um, the priest keyword. In this, like, it doesn't look like there's a lot of priests, but there are, because most of the Fire Slayer characters, um, like the supporting ones, are all now priests. Um, Stormcast Eternals obviously have the Lord Relictor and the Lord Veritant, and then the Deepkin actually have one with the Soul Scryer, and then obviously the Excelsior War Priest. So, and then he would know two prayers if, mm-hmm. he if he's your general. Um, but the War Priest has no command ability. Um, he does have a really nifty prayer on his war scroll that we can talk about later. Um, but there's a lot of different ways you can play around with how you want to build uh, your army for the Lethius, for the Lethusian defenders. Relics are kind of basic, right? Uh, five up uh, ward against wounds and mortals. Uh, plus one damage to one of your weapons. Plus two if it's against death. And um, once per battle at the start of the combat phase, use the artifact, heal D6 wounds. That mm-hmm. last one's pretty nice. Yeah, and then the five-up ignore. Yeah, the five. Those, these are actually all pretty... You, yeah, you can make an argument for any of these. Yeah. Yeah, it just depends, again, on how you want to build it. If you want to build more offensive, you can do Silver Blade on, like, um, an Eidolon or... Like a fire slayer big yeah. character, if you right. want to do something like that. Prayers on a three up, um, bring back D three wounds worth of slain models. Mm-hmm. Or up to D three wounds. Or on a three up, minus one to hit rolls for enemy units, an enemy unit within eighteen inches. And on the other one, on a three up, you can reroll save rolls of one for attacks that target friendly units wholly within twelve inches of the chanter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all defensive. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a weird army when you're looking at it because it benefits the slow infantry, like Liberators, Fire Slayers, obviously. Right. Um, and then the Caradron Overlords, as far as like the defensive portion, but then it makes your Akelion units really fast. Um, if you combine them with a Soul Scryer, they get plus four to their charge inherently. So you can make them like lickety split. Um, just go, go, go. So there's different ways you can play this. You can play this all aggro um, and go heavy deepkin. Um, I don't know if I would go that route because it, this is a weird thing again, because how I picture this is it's a wall of liberators and then it's backed up by Caradron shooting. Because the only battle yeah. line units you can take in this army is anything that's generic battle line for orders. So that's Liberators, Hearthguard Berserkers, uh, Arcanaut Companies, and Deepkin Thralls. Oh, that's... Yeah, because you got to keep to those four... Yeah. And you can't take any of the special guys because you can't take those special guys to unlock them. Yeah, because you have to have that allegiance. So you do have to take at least three units that fits into that, but... Realistically, your command ability benefits Liberators, so you're probably going to want to take them. And then your shooting units, you're going to be looking at Arcanaut Company, which are then battle line. And they're actually pretty good. Um, with this particular thing, you're going to be looking for easy synergies. Um, so, like the King. Uh, so, if you Deacon. bring the units that were in the story, the army mm -hmm. works best for you. Yes. Long story short. Um, <laughs> it's like I'm trying to explain because when you look at it, it's a weird thing to understand, but you're going to want to take things that make sense. Right. Let's look at the Legion of Grief. If you bring it in your death army, uh, you make it Legion of Grief. All units in the army gain the Legion of Grief keyword. Uh, you can have units that have one or more of the following. Key. You can have dead walkers. You can have death lords, death mages, death rattle. Or Night Haunt. If you have any more Tarks, you have to have Lady Olinder and she has to be the general. So if any big characters come in, then since this is her party, they don't get to run it. She's got to be there. It but, doesn't mention anything about Nagash, though. Um, the other legions do. That you can't take Nagash outside of the Grand Host. Um, which one of these keywords is he? Uh, he is a Death Lord. Oh, that's right. But the other legions, uh, Blood Knight and Sacrament, say you can't take it. This one doesn't say you can't. Oh, so, so you that can... might be something that may get adjusted um, because it's not consistent, but. Because he Just, wasn't there in this story. Correct. And why would he show up and let her run the show? Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I thought, I'm like, wait, what did I miss? What can we totally abuse? Oh, you can actually totally kind of abuse that, but... Yeah, you totally can. So, okay. Um, is Their thing is pretty much the same as the regular death uh, battle traits, aren't they? They got the... Uh, they got the unquiet dead, so you got the four grave markers. I got a question about that. You got the invigorating aura, so they heal D three wounds off the grave markers. 
Um, you got Deathless Minions, six inches of a hero. You get a six inch, uh, six up death save. Minus one bravery within six inches of the units. On the you have your command ability. At the end of your movement phase, um, oh, this is, uh, yeah, bring back a unit for a command point that was already destroyed, a summonable unit. So this is basically just the death stuff. So um, it says pick up to two points in your territory and up to two points anywhere on the battlefield to be grave sites. Mm-hmm. Um, does that limit you to only two in your territory? Because then it says two anywhere on the board, but I'm not trying to nitpick the rules, but if you have only... No, no. Up- you can do two have to be in your territory, and then two can be anywhere else on the table, including in your territory. So you could have all four in your territory. Oh, okay. Because when it says up to two points, I'm like, well, then I don't have to have any in my territory, do I? You don't have to, but why right. wouldn't you? Right now, I saw I was playing a game against someone, and they just they stacked two on one, and then two right on the other because it doesn't say anything about not having them in the same spot. Mm-hmm. That's totally that's. I'd never thought about that. You could, I guess, you could stack all four, one on top of another, if you really wanted to. Yeah, and then could. whatever. What, well, I'm just. I don't know why you would want to, but I didn't know why I wanted to stack two on two. And then it's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, if you're in the middle of those two, you're getting hit from all four, and yeah. it's all on your side. So you can just you you're you're summoning it off in the back row and just pulling them forward. I'm like, oh dear lord. Yep. So we got all that. So their command traits. Now, once again, this is limited, more limited, obviously, than their own major books. But it's because they're on they're on a, a journey, an unexpected adventure. Uh, first one turns him into a wizard who knows arcane bolt and mystic shield. If he's already a wizard, he gets an extra spell from the Lord of Sorrows, which is only three spells. So, um. Hey, so if you take this allegiance ability, you don't get all that cool other spells and other uh, stuff from those other lures, right? Correct. Okay, so you literally you got people, you got three spells to toss here plus that. Okay, uh, the other one, spend a command point on a five up. Oh, when you spend a command point, you get it back on a five up. I love that command trait personally. Um, and yeah. then then, but then there's the third one, uh, minus two to bravery for enemy units while within 12 of this general. And I've already got minus one if you're within six inches of any units in this army, right? Didn't we say that? Yep. So that, if he gets in within six, he's at minus three to your bravery, and we haven't thrown any spells around or any of these other things yet. Yeah, the horror guest um, or any of the other debuffs from the Night Haunt. Oh, because then we got this other stuff in here. I'm just talking what's in here. Um, artifacts of power. Um, either inflict a mortal wound on an enemy hero within six inches or heal a wound to yourself. That's at your hero phase. That's one artifact. I like that. Uh, minus one to hit the guy holding it with missile weapons. So minus one to hit me with missile weapons for my other artifact. And my third artifact, um, I like this one, the soul drain pendant. At the end of the combat phase, roll a die for each enemy unit within three inches of the bear. On the four-up, they take a mortal wound. Oh, no, wait. That wasn't what I thought that was. Yep. It's good, but no, I think I was. I like the heal one or deal one. That's what I called yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, 
so that works. But then we get into the spell lores, okay? The lore of sorrow. Um, the first one's Dread Withering. On a five up, pick an enemy unit within 18 inches, and they're minus one to their saves. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Whale of Doom, eight up. Every unit within six inches takes D3 mortal wounds on a four up. That's not bad. Because six inches is a nice bubble, especially if the person who is the wizard has a decent-sized base. Mm-hmm. So that's on an eight-up. Also on an eight-up is pick an enemy unit within 12 inches, and it's minus D3 bravery until the start of your next hero phase. Yep. So you drop down the Shroud of Terror on top of the guy who's near it, and you're at a minus six right there just from the command trait and dropping a spell, one spell from the thing. See, I play both of these armies. I could totally just set this up and have someone come over and we could play this. Yeah. Um, and then the Death Standard Bears, they're all also a minus one bravery. Okay. Debuff. So, and that's a different debuff, so you get them in. It all stacks. So you get them and the general within range, yeah. and you're at minus four, and then I drop this <laughs> And that's average of two. So that's you're down six, six. Or gas down eight. That's fantastic. The sun or the bridge. You can't go below uh, zero, but then, uh, but then everything, all I got to do is kill one model. And then you're rolling the rest of them, uh, rolling a chunk of them off the board. Yeah. Oh, I like this. You could, this is, uh, when we did the Nighthawk coverage and we talked about the Shrieker host, Right, um, which you you may not remember. Uh, so that's the banshee formation where you have the tomb banshees, uh, the mirror banshees, and the really ugly ones um, that really drive me up the wall. Uh, the uh, the, the one with the hook for the hand. Yes, that. I heard that story once, but the guy had the hook on his foot. Hook on his foot? How's that even scary? Sorry. Yeah. So that one you can't use inspiring presence if you're within range of a unit. Uh, oh, it's the Dread Scythe Herodons. Um So you can't use inspiring presence, and then you're down eight or so to your bravery, and then the Banshee screams at you. Oh, boy. So if you're even, like, bravery 10 from, like, Seraphon or a demon, you're now down to, like, bravery 2, so you're going to take... On average, five mortal wounds, even at bravery 10, um, because of the Banshee Scream. And then you add in any other things like a Linder Scream, the Banshee. Uh, you can't get in a Terror Geist. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, it, actually, you, you yeah, no. depending on how many points you're playing, you could get in a Terror Geist as a Mercenary. Um, so... Or the, uh, what do you call it, the Mortis Engine has a scream on it. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do to negatively affect your opponent's bravery and just watch them run. But that all goes to the heart of this uh, this campaign. Now, you know, we've already covered most of the story. So campaign, basically, you're trying to get the lesser Storm Vaults, the Storm Vault Sacristies, then get, a, get enough power from this to go after the Grand Storm Vault. So um, <laughs> you beforehand, you guys can decide how you want to set it up. They've got, I mean, you know, you can choose realms. 
you could put it all in one realm. You could not play with the realm rules. You could do whatever you want with that. Um, but you decide all that ahead of time. So after you decide where you're going to play, um, you play your first round. After your first battle, actually, oh, it says during your first battle, you get a powerful relic. Whether you win or not, you get a relic in the Storm Vault. Known as the Awakened Artifact. It can be wielded by a hero from your army in the subsequent battles. Each of these artifacts is an artifact of power, and it, now as you play the game, um, it can you can build up the power of your artifacts, uh, so they can level mm-hmm. up. So much fun, level up, um, and then you start to play. So, um, major or minor victory, you conquered the storm vault. Then you roll on the storm vault table, see what reward you get. When you get a reward, mark it off on the campaign roster. You can't get the same reward twice. So eventually, you basically mm-hmm. got to get six wins between the, yeah. the campaign roster. You got to get six wins. But at the end of your first battle, everyone's going to also get a chance to get one of the six awakened artifacts. Am I correct? Yes, I think I am. They've got the different rewards you can get, and then the different types of artifacts. So first of all, um, the different rewards. When you open up the different sacristies, when you win. Um, they give you these little bonuses, and they're all for the next mm-hmm. battle. So this is total campaign stuff. If I win this in the next battle, I get a bonus. Um, so there's six of them. Do you want to go over these, Alex? Do you have them in front yeah, of you? Yeah, sure. Sacristies? Yeah. So the first one is the is essentially Laoshan. Um, and in the next battle, the first time you attempt to summon Laoshan, uh, that spell is automatically cast, and it cannot be unbound. Um, and in addition, if you're using pitch battle, you get to include one in your army for zero points oh. in that next battle. See, and th- I mean, basically, each of the four uh, new spells do this. There's one of them for each yeah. one, right? So there's one for Laoshan, there's one for the bridge, there's one for the Horogast, and then there's one for the shards. Um, so those are the first four. Uh, the fifth is... Your army's awakened artifact immediately levels up, and if you already have that, you get to re-roll the result. Um, and then no, the last uh, re-roll one is, this result. No, actually, I think you did. You uh, re- if you don't have an artifact yet, aha, uh-huh. because you don't okay. get it till yep, the you're right. you don't get it till after your first game. So if you break into one <laughs> and you roll this and you haven't gotten it yet, there's like no, take a different one. So you can't ah, get that one till gotcha, your second gotcha. till your second round. Because I thought that was weird too. It's like nope, that's that's it. Yep. Um, and then the last one is to add one to your general's wound characteristic for the rest of the campaign. Which is cool. Now, eventually, everybody gets this at some point. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that you notice here is that there's two different trees of battle plans. Yes. There's the pitched battle battle plans and then the narrative battle battle plans. <laughs> so that's eight new battle plans. Battle battle plans. Battle battle plans. Battle battle plans. I'm gonna do that all night. Battle battle plans. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what's come over me today. No, I, we know it's okay, Dave. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm slap happy. No, these are great because I, bef- like I said, when I first grabbed it and I opened up the book and I started flipping through it. Like I was like, oh look, battle plans. I'm looking. I'm like, okay, basic, kind of basic one, kind of basic one. I'm looking at the next one. I'm like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. There's you got four and four. Um, 
So depending on your flavor of gaming, this works for both. This was smart. Yes. This was really smart. Because even if you weren't playing the exact... uh, You could adjust these, uh, some of the rules, to totally play if you weren't playing in the campaign for the four... um, the pitch battle battle plans, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, the the narrative ones. There's some of those fun ones in there, well, especially when you're like lying, when you're running the gauntlet on some of this. I mean, some of this you're literally in a six inch strip in the middle of the board, trying to get from one end to the other, while the whole mm-hmm. rest of the board is is your enemy, and you're trying to get across four foot of board and get enough of your army out to have considered. Uh, gotten through there quietly and won the uh, won the event um I, we don't we're not going to go over all of these battle plans are no. we please say no we're not going to okay good but it's one of those things that there is a lot that you could do and a lot of them are based on the terrain features have extra rules um that we talked about earlier right oh so the uh, all of those are in here and that's that's actually even factored into it too mm-hmm. um and then there's the final one. So there's actually nine, I yeah. think. Yeah, because then- there's nine because there's the four for narrative and for pitch, and then there's the Grand Storm Vault, the uh, big one. Yeah, and that one, um, yeah, that's that's the fun. In fact, that becomes a triumphant treachery game. Yeah, because um, the, I guess the rules are. Once somebody gets to playing the Grand Storm Vault, then everybody goes to the Grand Storm Vault. Mm-hmm. So just like um, most of the different games we played, once you've hit all the, once you got all your keys, once you've unlocked all six of the lessers, you're going for the Storm Vault. Everyone else is going there to try and stop you. Yeah, and this is a max of four players, um, and then it does specify um, how you determine who the four are. Um, if you have more than four players in the campaign. Yes. Uh, where is that? If there's more than four players, the four that conquered the most Storm Vault sacristies participate. If they tied, uh, then you go to Awakened Artifacts, and uh, then you roll off if no one else has got that. So those are the guys who get there. And the winner of that is declared the overall winner because they conquered the Storm Vault. So you could actually be in fourth place in this. Um, top four places, it's a free-for-all for the win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. And then everybody's bringing a stupid penumbral engine, so stuff's like womp, 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 and all over the place. Everybody's losing their minds. Everyone's forgetting everything. Oh, it's fantastic. But that's... That's the campaign uh, in a nutshell. It's got the little roster on the back. Oh, you do have to name your general, and your general has to be in every list. Other than that, that's the only real restriction. Unless you give somebody um, the awakened artifact and you don't give it to your general. If you don't give it to your general, the guy who you gave it to, he's now mandatory in every list as well. Did we want to go over what some of the little cool artifacts that you can win? Oh, we can. There's a couple of interesting ones. I mean, this is where the fun comes in. This is <laughs> this is all the little goofy gober stuff that uh, that makes these sort of campaigns uh, a good time. Uh, which ones did you like? The one I thought was funny was Geist Bane. Um, because 
it's weird because it says like it hungers for souls, um, but all the guys there are ethereal, and the first thing it does is and rend. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about that. So wait, what, it gains a level of power if three or more. Oh, okay, if three or more enemy models were slain by attacks made by the bearer. Yeah, each one of these artifacts has its own inspire condition, essentially. And it goes um, up to level five. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, so at the end of the battle, yeah, if you killed three or more things, you can get stuff up here. Um, yeah, it's not for every three. No, it's three per round. But so you got to win. Okay, here's the thing: you got to win at least six rounds because you got to open up six storm vaults. Yep. To get to the grand battle. So if you can hit this these every time, even if you run through it as quick as you can, you've maxed out these things um, mm-hmm. by the end of this, if you're doing well. Um, it, again, just depends on your artifact. Because if you have a character that doesn't kill anything, you're not going to level up Geistbane. Again, it's one of those things that if I avoid your big fighty character, yeah, it just I just dependent. So um, you got this massive sword that just does more damage, more rend, um, and more attacks. <laughs> just, so yeah, cool. Well, I mean, um, I like the shield though. Uh, that one is one of my favorites. I do like the um, shield. Yeah, because it's if you make five or more saves. Um, and it's just saves. And you get to pick the web, so it's like you're only going to take, I mean, you're not going to get stuck with any of these because you wouldn't be, you wouldn't take something that you can't use. Right. Um, yeah, no, I like the, I like the shield a lot. It's because it just keeps getting better and better. Mm-hmm. What else they've got? They've got one that uh, powers up. If you do three or more charge moves, you can, first level, you can run and charge. Mm-hmm. Then it's then your move starts getting up. Add three. Add later. Later you're adding six to your movement. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, the hex flame pendant was the one that grabbed my attention. I thought this one was cool. Um, you get a power level if three or more hexes were placed on the on an enemy units by the bearer. So it's got a whole bunch of rules here. In the hero phase, you put a hex on an enemy within 18 inches. Roll a die, and a four up, the hex is placed. Subtract one from hit and wound rolls for attacks made by a unit that has any hexes on it. So in your hero phase, you can start putting them down. One, so you got so you got to basically be doing it every turn to get it to level up. Units with a hex on it can attempt to lift their hex in a hero phase. Roll a die, add one for each friendly priest within 12 inches of the unit on a six plus... The hex is lifted and its effects longer. So it's tough to stay there if they don't have priests. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they still got to move them over there to help get it off. Yep. Minus one to hit and to wound. All right. So that's where you're starting. Then let's assume you get three hexes down on your four ups. And the next next round, suddenly um, you can place a hex within 24 inches instead. And then half the movement of enemy units with hexes on them. And they're already plus at the... Minus one to hit and to wound. Um, then you place them on threes instead of fours. And then at the fifth level, at the start of your hero phase, enemy units with any hexes take D3 mortal wounds. I just love this because it hits them on every level. 
Like first they're hard have it's harder to hit you and harder to wound you. And then suddenly their movement is halved and now they're taking mortal wounds. I just I like this one a lot. It's also one of the harder ones to level up. Yeah. Yeah, because that's right, because you've got, what, five turns tops? You get one shot per turn on a four-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is hard, but it's good. Um, then you've got uh, you've got a dagger and a wand. Yes. Um, if five or more spells were cast by the bear and not unbound, that wand is bananas hard to level up. It depends on your caster. If you have like a two cast character like a Slon or an abhorrent archregent, um that get multiple spell attempts a turn, it's actually achievable. Um, yeah, and it gives you it starts off giving you an extra spell if you're a wizard. Mm-hmm. And it makes you one if you're not. Suddenly you jump up, you're getting plus two casting, you're getting this, you're getting that. By the end, you know all spells known, uh, all wizards on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are fun. This is so dumb. That is so dumb. Yeah. In a caster-heavy army, oh, my God, your stupid slant uh, army is going to be like, oh, look what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the last one... Pick a melee weapon to be like after each battle. It, if you healed five or more wounds allocated to the bearer, the life stealer goes up, um, and that starts off. If your wound roll is an unmodified six, you you can heal a wound. Mm-hmm. Oh, so if you get a bunch of attacks, you can heal several wounds. So you could totally heal five wounds. Um, or then, if you're a great unclean one. Because you just heal D3 every hero face. Oh, so you give this to... Oh, oh yeah, that'll work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then this just keeps this just keeps getting better and better and better as well. Um, just, you, start, you start to fight quicker. You, if you get more bonuses, if you kill things. Um, all sorts of fun artifacts you can get. And you don't have to play those two armies because you don't have to play it in the Death Realm. You don't have to play it with all the funky, uh, the new rules for the new those new uh, allegiances. You could just play your stuff. Yeah, but if you're doing the Midnight Tomb, then you should probably do it in Stigix. Yeah, but that's uh, that's basically the game. Whoever wins that last game of Triumph and Treachery at the Stormfall wins it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Without going into how you win all the... Part. Yeah. Would you want to play a campaign of this? I would, yeah. Maybe over the summer, since summer's starting, and I could probably pack up and bring stuff out there? Yeah. I'd have fun playing this. Mm-hmm. Cool. show. All right. Um, we've been going on forever, and so, listen, why don't we take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll wrap up the show... Yep. All right. All 
Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right. Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back. Uh, only to say goodbye. But yeah. Holy smoke. <laughs> Lots of cool things happening this episode. Um, so hopefully everybody... Apparently this is hard to get. Um, lots of people are pre-ordering. It's literally forbidden. Um, <laughs> there was an allotment issue. Um, I don't know... Dinkle dork. Sorry. Uh, I don't know how they determine... like. How many of what go out to stores? But from what I understood, stores are only allocated two copies of Forbidden Power. Um, I mean, I suppose they, you're hedging your bets. Make sure you're not getting stuck sitting on a bunch of them. Twelve hundred copies of Blackstone Fortress, but <laughs> um, poor Andy. Not that there's anything wrong with Blackstone Fortress. It's I like Blackstone but, Fortress actually. But I think, I don't know. I don't know how it worked out, but I know it's been a hot ticket item. Well, they were nice it. enough to send us this to go over, and I'm oh, I'm so glad because it's so good. Yeah. It's a campaign in a box. Um, plus, it's a, a campaign that'll work, too, honestly. Yeah. Um, I definitely felt this was better than uh, the season of War Firestorm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Firestorm had the cool little, like, stickers and everything like that. So, I mean, it had some cool parts to it, but this... Yeah, but just because it's got color forms doesn't make it good. Yeah, but this felt a lot better. There wasn't a lot of, like, extra convoluted stuff. No, um, it's just these are extra rules to add in, which I think is sometimes more fun. I can make my own map if I need one. Uh, the yeah. map I don't even mind, but I didn't need the color forms and the tokens and all that stuff. I just wanted to know where this new setting is and what, what little variation we're going to play with it. Yeah, and then the split between the narrative battle plans and the pitch battle battle plans. That um, was a good call. Yeah, absolutely. That was the absolute right decision. So, um, in any event, so that's Forbidden Power, folks. Um, and if you're listening to this on day of release, um, this is something that we want. <laughs> this like, is I know, out on day of release. Yeah. Um, which is but this be. is something that, obviously, uh, we knew was coming. Um, because we got the advanced copy, but because it's moving the story along, because it's taking us in this new direction, we wanted to cover this quickly um, and as soon as we possibly could. Um, I know a lot of other book reviews, we wait a little bit, but this one, because it's getting the story moving again, we wanted to cover it quickly. Yeah, and, and plus, it's it's not nearly as long as some of the army book stuff. So, Yeah, because the only battle tome that we haven't covered... 
in a previous incarnation is Skaven. And, oh, Lord. That is a big book. Uh, we're going to get to it. I actually want to get to it. I think it's a cool book, but it's like, ugh, there's so much there. But all right, let's wrap this up. Um, one more time, want to thank the Patreon patrons because you guys are the awesomest, especially associate producers Phil Elliott, Dwight Sims, Christoph Sanders, and AJC. AJC. Executive producer Big Jake, and again, our newest patron Derek Knoll thank you all for being part of the 1% who make this show and everything we do possible um, next episode um, we're going to try something a little different uh, we're going to jump into the main rule book and start going through all the lore stuff there that we tend to skip because the first 10 or 15 pages are the same thing that we've seen in every other book Mm-hmm. And then we skip a lot of it. So we're going to look through some of that stuff and pick out a few things in there that we think are interesting uh, story bits, um, especially since anyone who's starting in the game gets that book. So if people are asking questions, it's like, well, if you got a starter set or if you got the main rule book, you know, that's an easy place to point them for for this stuff. So we're going to go through and, and take a look at different parts of that um, next episode. So. Mm-hmm. I guess that's that. Alex? Dave? It's been fun. Now I'm going to go edit this show because I can stay up late and edit this show because I don't have to teach in the morning. Sparring about techless. Schools. Ow. I'm writing it down. Schools out right here. I may name that the episode of the show. I probably won't, but I may. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I love Alice. Uh, I got to see him live uh, in Rockford, so I mean that was amazing. But oh, I don't even care about all that. I just I'm, summer vacation is so close to starting. I guess. Hey, well, you know uh, what? Well, I like summer well, vacation because I get summer vacation. Oh, I don't like summer vacation because kids aren't in program, so I have to work less. Oh, oh, sorry about that. It It is what it is. I would rather kids be doing okay outside and not having to come into program to deal with mental health issues if they can't manage it. So, you know, it's a job that I have because other people are hurting. So that, it's a weird sort of thing. But that's besides the point. Um, and it does feel kind of weird that we end the show with uh, something from the Hallowed Nights when we're talking animals of the Hallowed Hammer. But, you know, it's a thing. That's right. Because I can't help myself. Because you know what, Alex? What? Only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes. Or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer, and Alex, that's me, is at somekindageek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garagehammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance forums, that's tga.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.
except you're wrong about Teclas because Teclas is cool because he's kind of awesome and he's a genius and he's thinking way above our level. He may be the dumbest smart person you've ever met, but he's also the smartest dumb person you've ever met. And he does a lot of cool that's pretty impressive. And he's an elf, so he's allowed to be an elf. That's the best part about being an elf. Oh, boy. (laughs) See, I'm saying all this off the air, though, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.